From the Dice Abide Live Studios, it's Late Night War Games with your hosts, Adam and John. Well, hello. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. And hello, everyone. I'm Adam, but you know me as the Dice Abide. And I'm John, also known as Wise Kansai. Uh, we're welcoming back Eric. He's worth it. Yay, Eric. Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad you could make it. So, uh, gentlemen, what are you drinking tonight? Eric? How about you, Eric? I'm uh, drinking a cup of chamomile tea. Nice. Fancy. <laughs> John? I am also having tea, but in beer form. I believe Ooh. you had this a few shows ago, right? <laughs> I did, and how are you loving it? I haven't had any yet. Okay. We're about to find out. <laughs> I'll get, get it, it at, at uh, 99 Ranch. I got it at uh, Asian Family Center. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> That's racist. Uh, so, <laughs> so tonight I am having a Stone FML, and I am not holding the can upside down. They just did yeah. the artwork on there upside mm. down. Which was like, what is that thing upside down on the shelf? I'm going to pick it up. And then it was in my basket. Um, so they they succeeded. The FML stands for Fear Movie Lions. I don't understand that. If anybody does, please tell me. But <laughs> sure. yeah, it's from uh, Stone Brewing down in San Diego. And I like their arrogant bastard. So I figured I should give this thing a roll. And you know, being 8.5% makes it nice and efficient, too. Yep. So see how it goes. Gentlemen, cheers. 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 Well, that's interesting. It's not very piney. Um, it's actually kind of caramelly for an IPA, which is a little bit different. Not bad. So, yeah, it's an 8.5% unfiltered double IPA. Very nice. Recommend it. And I don't usually recommend IPAs. All right, I mean, this, John. This is this is pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's um yeah. It's very much one of those like beers. You're like, all right, I guess I'll get it as part of the flight. And you're like, I've done it now. Check yeah, the, the matcha one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the jalapeno beer. And you're like, <laughs> I've I've had it now. It was yeah. a beer. So I don't know. I will not be ordering a whole pint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, John, why don't you take it away with some news? news Let's news. do it. Uh, yep. Yeah, so just a reminder that we are doing, um, uh, well, actually a few things. First off, we've got our Patreon uh, going on. I want to remind people about that. That's right. So uh, we are doing a thing. This is actually kind of almost the very end of, for your last chance if you want to get in on the first quarter. So every quarter we're going to be giving away a random, or we're giving away models uh, to people have supported us through that quarter. So the last day to sign up for this quarter is the end of July. Um, and if you subscribe now through the end of September, then you'll get the, uh, was it the Rose City Raid 2018? Was it 2019? 18, 19. Uh, the Drunk Yan Yan miniature. Yep. And then three more months to so the end of December, we'll give away the uh, the Drunk John Strecker. Then we're going to go ahead and do this authorized bounty hunter. And then after that, we'll do... Uh, We'll do uh, not not tuxedo mask legally distinct. Yep. Uh, <laughs> legally distinct mask Nova. 
So yeah, that's one of our perks that we've been able to work in for our Patreon subscribers. Yay. So subscribe to us and we'll give you limited edition models. Those are things. Um, what else? Uh, so Berman Academy mission, limited insertion, play a 10 model list. Let us know how it goes. Uh, it's getting pretty late in the month. So I'll just tell you the point of this is to get you to be very efficient with your orders. Not just that, but also know what you can and can't do and prioritize correctly. Right. And so uh, that was something that I learned playing a lot of limited insertion in N3. I think you can still do it in N4 uh, if for no other reason than a training exercise to make you better at playing 15 orders. So if you hate the idea and you think it's subpar, try it anyway as a training exercise. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised about uh, the kinds of decisions it makes you have to make. Um, so things that you also uh, might have to make decision wise is what gun do you want on your guy? And if you don't like it, you can change it. Paint it up, send it in, and we'll uh, judge it and give you prizes. Uh, that's till the end of the quarter. Um, doesn't have to be a huge change. Right? Like doing a gun swap or adding some bits and bobs here is totally fine. Remember, we're judging you on the quality of the paint job, not the quality of the conversion. Uh, but if you do a particularly stellar conversion, then we'll give you some bonus points in our judges' minds, I'm sure. So it uh, doesn't have to be a huge deal as long as you can look at the original right on the store page and your model and you can tell there's a difference. That counts. So you don't have to go crazy, right? Um, don't need to completely just file it down to an armature and re-sculpt everything like Obadiah. So you'll be okay. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Lumbering Sprocket, we're doing uh, Heavy Gear Blitz tournament system playthrough. So please give us playtesting data. Uh, we're doing coup d'etat, supply rated total annihilation this month. Just send in battle reports and get a chance to get some DreamPod 9 store credit. That's it. Um, this week we released our uh, battle report from a game that Adam and I played, my first game of Peace River, which was a lot of fun. We talked about that last episode. Um, high speed, low AR, because Adam chose basically all AR5 things and got shot off the table. So, spoiler alert, <laughs> I suppose. It was predictably. Yeah, right. Um, okay, let's see what else. I think that's it for, for blog news. Um, talking about sponsor we've, stuff now. Yeah, we've got a bit of uh, Infinity stuff. So, yeah. last week. The uh, the OPATH, the Organized Play at Home Painting Challenge ended, and guess who won a prize? <laughs> who who was, was it? Where's my cheers? Oh, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, it was me. Uh, so I was one of three people randomly selected, uh, I might add. <laughs> Nothing to do <laughs> with, uh, with, with ability uh, or the quality of the army list that you put together for the point value that you picked. Um, but I'll take it. Yeah. And, you know, it did the thing. It pushed me to finish painting at least some of my military orders models, which I've been like working on my paint scheme forever. And I just needed to put, you know, put the paint to the just model. Just do it. Yeah. Makes and sense. And get it out. So it was fun. And then I boxed them up because I'm going to be focusing on playing Ariana. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No painted, no painted models in my cabinet. Right. Okay. Uh, what else we got? Um, so there was the big Corvus Belly seminar last Thursday, I believe. Um, and we're not going to talk about all of that. If you are interested in that and want to hear people's commentary, you can go check out the Twitch stream and all the chat. Um, but we are going to talk about uh, this lady uh, who hey, is Fiddler, Lord. right? And uh, yeah. Holy crap. It's pretty bonkers. <laughs> so a couple, a couple things about Fiddler. Um, from a lore standpoint, I think she's a great addition to the game. They're kind of opening up the universe and being more inclusive. Their universe is was designed to be inclusive, and then they just forgot to include a diverse array of people. 
So uh, bringing in a character that is uh, canonically trans is rad. Uh, so good work, CB. Keep going in the right direction. Now the profile is freaking bonkers. Yep. Oh my goodness. She's basically, I mean, she has a bunch of toys, right? So she's the Aristea X toy maker, mm-hmm. which you need to definitely emphasize the gap in those words. Um, yes. And she, <laughs> she brings like, what is it? Uh, drop bears and her little annoying bots with shotguns. Yep. Just a, an amazing profile. I think that this will be a highly sought after miniature. Yes. Uh, to say the least. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be pretty that, cool. Love that those bots have explode too. It's going to be, um, she's going to be a lot of fun. Well, so the bots, I was just thinking about the bots, right? Like if you, if you think about um, the, the ox bots that you get in some armies, mm-hmm. or usually in Oceana, but in my case, NA2, um, you, you know, you, the ox bot itself forces one half of the bad decision. And then you have to move the controller to, to force the other half the bad decision, right? Because if just the Oxbot goes out there, the answer is dodge. But if the Oxbot goes out there with a um, with like a, an order sergeant, right, who's going to have your rocket launcher or assault pistol you, then you have to be like, well, do I go face-to-face with which one do I go face-to-face with? So it having, um, it having a Vulcan shotgun means that by itself walking out of the corner, you're 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 aft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it like you don't need to expose fiddler. The bot just walks around the corner. And then like even more fun, the bot moves into melee. Right? Like right. now what do you do? <laughs> I, mean, I guess in that case you dodge. <laughs> but you're you're gonna go face to face with the shotguns and if you fail the face to face, you're gonna be stuck in in melee. It's, it's <laughs> with all, something that explodes. It's all bad. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. It's terrible. I'm really hoping that they um they include the 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 bot. The, what are they called? Jackbots, right? Jackbots, I hope that yeah. they include the jackbots in the uh, in the kit. But I mean, I can't imagine they yeah. would. They should at least include one, right? I, I imagine it's going to be kind of like um uh that uh what's the 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 chain co- the ODD chain rifle guy in in uh Shazvasti with the yeah with a, yeah he came with a little uh uh taiga creature right who's also like mimicking his pose that's right yeah, yeah. that's gonna kill me what is it shoot jace yeah thank you jace. clint yeah there you go i was just like i was like what is, anyway yeah but like does that mean that they're gonna include it for the general release or because I don't think they've ever had somebody with something else as a um, you know, model with a piece of equipment, for example, as the uh, the miniature for um, the the uh, ITS. Kit. Oh, I mean, yeah, maybe they will though, right? Because they can. They definitely did the thing where they gave the um, the cosplay bolt with drop bears. That was the only way to get the drop bears for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you wanted to press them right. on your own. So I mean, oh, there's, some, yeah, there's some true, there's some there's yeah. some history there. Also, like Lunacods come with uh, with uh, koalas, right? Mm-hmm. Koalas, I think, are a great example, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, right? say. I mean, what, what, so what, the other funny thing about about uh, Fiddler is that she's expensive, and you don't really want to expose her to fire. Um, mm. 
you know, if she she's got a plus one burst contender, which is kind of cool. So you could get that that kill burst stuff. Two shot out there. That does and kill be stuff. A burst two. You know, it, it's like a very small auto cannon, right? But one hit does a DA hit. Yeah. So maybe there's something in there, um, but I think most of the time you're gonna be hiding her, throwing drop bears places, and then uh, just running around like crazy with jackpots and making people's lives miserable. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think your burst two contender is plan A, but as plan B, it's totally reasonable. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a plan B. You can you can go for it. I kind of feel like that she, she's a support character who you don't mind dumping a couple extra points into because she's a great plan B. You know, she, you can have her hang back until the main fight gone on. Then people kind of get into the middle field and... Then she can, you know, move up, repair a person, throw a jackpot at somebody. Definitely. Yeah, and so she's, you know, NWI shock immune, climbing, climbing plus, um, critical immune. Yeah, six four. Yeah, I like yep. that. I like that. <laughs> Dodge is on fifteens. She makes yeah. a lot more sense to me than the Uberfall. I know the Uberfall are really good. I just can't seem to make them work mm-hmm. for me. This like clicks better for my playstyle, but you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think like they both do the same thing, right? Uberfall and and her, they as Frank says, they they punish turtling, um, but she yeah. makes more sense to me than than the Uberfall do. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just harder for me to move like four models around than it is to move like say her plus a uh, jackpot or something. But anyway, I'm excited to get her. I'll definitely yeah. use her in the armies that she's available in because I play all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Surprising <laughs> everyone. I'm excited. Yeah, she yeah, showed I mean, up. I look- I'm like, it's that whole bottom row for me, right? Like, QK, Starcoach, Ruse, and Dashot. Yep. I'm like, yeah. The important part is she's part of QK, and I am, I am, I think going to try to limit myself to out of print armies now, just for extra <laughs> hipster, right? So, <laughs> I guess now I have to Fancy. play QK a bunch. <laughs> yeah, just what is this N4? Mm, yeah. Nope. <laughs> going all the way back to N2, Merovingia. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Anyway. Well, very yeah. cool. So I think what that's else it we for Infinity News. news. Uh, we've got uh, some community news, I think, next. Yeah. Yeah, so the Moonstone uh, backer kit is open. So you can go find it over. I think you can find it from the Moonstone um, Facebook page. So if you missed, or uh, Facebook page, um, Kickstarter page. So if you missed the opportunity to back it while it was live, the backer kit is open, and it has all the same stuff for the same prices. So there you go. pretty cool way support like a, a really nice indie uh, game developer yeah and get those limited edition models that limited edition fairy that was showing in that last picture freaking rad mm-hmm. um all right so punga has announced their august releases which are gonna be add-ons for the underworld yay <laughs> as an underworld player i am happy with that yep seems good so yeah cool coaches cheerleaders a couple yep. star players the cheerleader and is pretty troll. great they look very unhappy to be there. <laughs> yeah, I really like the cheerleader. And I was trying to figure out what's up with the refs, and then I realized that they're like the the human ref is like covered in bribes. Yeah, right. He's just got money falling out of his pocket. He's inspecting a gold that's coin. Funny. That's yep. funny. So like that's that's a good underworld. Yeah, um, yeah. They're bribe markers, right? Yeah. And then the uh, the dwarf with the club. Um, you, I imagine, would be some sort of taskmaster in the in the, the weird stone mines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Forest Dragon 
is also back making a uh, War Master army with Chaos Warriors, and they look freaking sweet. And that starts, uh, I think that also starts in August. So the Punga and Forest Dragon stuff is for next month. Nice. Trying to make yeah, some pretty cool up. stuff. Yep, I want all of it. 100%. <laughs> Lord, that means. It's coffee time! Let's get in some toys that we did get to play with. Mm-hmm. I I built some wolvers, which only reminded me how much I hated build, <laughs> building wolvers the first three times I've assembled that kit. Yeah, it was unpleasant. Especially oh, that lady with the sword yeah. on the left. Yep, I did not pin the tabbers this time, which I have done in the past, and I regretted it because it was a giant pain in the ass. The uh, I think the only pin I really have, I had to pin the hands on, the uh, the the guy with the heavy shotgun and the sword, oh, and then sure. I pinned just one wrist of the girl with a double-handed sword, mm-hmm. because I found in the times that um, I pinned both of her arms and the the uh, both hands, it caused you know, my tolerances were just weak enough that the hands never met mm-hmm. in a way that was nice. So I had to not pin as many things as I would like, but they're built now. Yay, Yay. wolvers! Wolvers are amazing. So I'm happy to go. have them. And as to why are her hands separate from both arms? It's because <laughs> back in the day, they made models a challenge as opposed to a joy. Yes. For for experienced <laughs> hobbyers only, or only just like Citadel Finecast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so speaking of experienced hobbyers only, um, there's some complaints often about how monopose some of the heavy gear stuff is. So every now and then when I'm assembling one of the, the old plastics from the first Kickstarter, I like to go a little wacky with it. So this is a ferret that I made in like full sprint standing, which I should basically never do. Right. Um, but it was fun to kind of cut apart the the feet and the ankle and reposition everything to give it a kind of a natural run. Just a fun little guy I built. And then next I finished off my NAI converted frames for my Utopia army. So a lot of the Kurbyusha. Uh, accessories, Utopia weapons, and then those Utopia heads that were sculpted by um, gra- uh, Game Garage Mini? Yeah, Kayuna. Mini Game Garage? Yeah, Kayuna over on Patreon. So it really kind of ties them together nicely with Utopia. And then I bust out the spray paint and primered everything. So primered all my black talons using the Panzer Gray that I'm absolutely in love with. It's my favorite spray paint color ever. And then Primed until I ran out of primer, uh, my Utopia using Army Painter Wolf Gray, and I've got another can on the way so I can finish off the, uh, was it the infantry and the golems? There you go. <laughs> and so yes, I... the guy who did the, who did the three D printing for me was very handsome. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> so how you, John? Well, I built my Voltiger uh, with oh. the linked light field gun. So that'll be fun no. to shoot at you. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm debating whether I want the medium anti-tank missile version or the medium, sorry, the or the uh, or the artillery missile version. But I don't think it's really much of a choice. Uh, both are really good, right? So you basically decide whether you yeah. want to explode a bunch of things or uh, one thing. Um, and I kind of feel like damage ten is probably good enough to crack most armor anyway. So uh, maybe the artillery, oh, so missile the artillery is ready missiles. To go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really cool though because like uh, just to show you the level of detail that the the guys over at DP9 uh, have 
this the model head comes with smoke on its base profile and there's little like tank smoke grenade launchers to the, on the turret which i love they have like little oh, neat. Those little tubes right like the little four tubes sticking out um so that was fun i to also do. like that the that the missiles can be covered or uncovered mm -hmm. yep yep and then they give you like all sorts of tank ovens like spare sprockets and there's even like a couple of couple of spare uh treads and whatnot uh, which i decided not to put on because i didn't really know where they would go so i i have some more bits for other things like uh putting on my camel tracks and whatnot later um i put together a bunch of infinity stuff uh so mendoza's in there the uh Chaxo long arms uh two muktar and um mm. Uh, some other stuff. I also put together uh, um, this fellow, right? So. Oh yeah. Um, he's his pose was really silly. I was not a fan, uh, but I think I kind of fixed it. Yeah, that's Hawkwood. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, like I'm not sure. I like this. Because I mean, before he was like his foot was on the rock. What's up? You made the blade tucked in a little more. No, I didn't do anything. All literally, all I did was cut off the stupid tactical rock he was on. Right. Okay. So now it looks like he's not saucing on a rock. Now it looks like he's in full sprint. <laughs> right. Which I, which I, which I approve much more of. Uh, see, he still looks really dumb from the front, which is why I chose to take this picture <laughs> from the side. But you know, I mean, not not their best, not their best effort. Uh, the everything about I mean, it is great. Just the pose is a little, I don't know. So. Have yeah. you ever seen photos of yourself running? They only ever look good. From <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a lot of photos of myself running because uh, I used to run cross country and track, and my dad likes to take photos. They do not look good, uh, but they don't yeah, look exactly. Like, but they don't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, um, you have to share them with us next episode, right? Um, yes. I, I'll have to find yes. them. Uh, I put together the Raptor Squad because, yes, I want more of that. Uh, you ready for that? Okay, no. I can't. I can't play them. Like, they're they're still in print. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I also finished my first CEF tank. Um, I mean, it's kind of a slapdash paint job. Uh, just some airbrush masking and then some, you know, light detail here and there and some dry brushing just to get it on done and on the table. I think it's good enough. It looks yeah, it looks good. Looks good, yeah. It's fine. Some like light washing in the resources. Probably try to push the contrast yeah. a little more on the next one, but uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but then I put together yeah. uh, the um, Mustang and Gladiator squad that I got. Uh, Dude, Mustang day. is a big chonker. Yeah, he is. It was a little tough choosing mm -hmm. what gun to give him. I ended up giving him the heavy auto cannon. Uh, the other options are a stun Ooh. cannon or um, or bazooka. But I gave one of the gladiators a bazooka instead. I figure the auto cannon is better as he's closing anyway than any of the other guns yeah. that I just mentioned. Yeah. And uh, you know, all of these guys will be. I'll, I'll be taking the uh, the brawl two with uh, medium fiber blade. So the horrible I, one, the scary one. Yeah. So I, I don't. I don't. I really don't the think Mustang they need the bazooka as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the stock. So that's happening. And I didn't know he was on a 40 mil base. He also comes with medium anti-personnel anti rockets, um, which I think is fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just another option. But yeah, Eric, you've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing a fair amount of hobbying, definitely since the last time um, I came on here. 
so I got, I got a house, which means I can finally have a table. Yeah. Um, and that's my my uh, childhood friend came into town, so that's that's him helping me put together my my fold out situation oh, there. There you go. And uh, yeah, um, gave him his first game of Infinity, and um, it was he loved it. So I, I approve. I approve of the books, Mister <laughs> Yes, yes, right. and very um, what I had, which yep. you know, the start of a table. There you go. Yeah, your table is going to be really cool once you like get the hills all made and stuff. Yeah, it's it's starting to get cool up here. I just have to uh, bridge that gap. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this is your first yeah, piece then, uh, of painted terrain, yeah. Yeah, and this isn't really so terrain per se. This is a piece of plastic I had around that I was like, well, this is stable. I'll just mask it off and. You know, kind of experiment with the color scheme for the buildings, and I think it. I think it looks pretty decent. It's perfect. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, the yeah. little the little and lights on it are fantastic. Yep, it's a space yeah. box. Yep. It's a space box, exactly. There's probably power in there. There's a Havza on the space box. And there's a little. It's actually kind of perfect for you know. You can go prone up there and oh yeah, yeah. slightly yeah. interactive. What what is this box from? Where did I get a box like this? Yeah, no, I want more, honestly. <laughs> I have no idea though. It's also nice and hollow, it's been so you can miniatures pack... for a very yeah. long time. <laughs> so you can you can stack stuff in there, which is really nice. Yeah, true. For flip it over, yeah. So um, Nate was a super cool friend and gave me a bunch of his old um, terrain he's not going to use. So I've been painting that for the table as well. Yep. A little scatter. You have a gorgeous table by the end of this. Yeah, I'm very excited. This is a whole avenue of hobby that is opening up. Yeah. Um, these are some just little pieces of uh, MDF that were they were like little doors, but I'm gluing them together to just be, um, you know, sci-fi bips and bops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good old good old bips, bips and bops. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. And, this is great. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited just to you know be able to paint some non-humanoid um, objects. So, got your little hollow hollow computer kind of thing going on here. Yep. Poke it, poking it with that Mark 12. Why don't you yep. work? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you paint those graphics on there? Yep. Oh, I hate you. Yeah, they're great, <laughs> aren't they? I was like, oh, that's cool. Like some etched, uh, some etched uh, uh, acrylic. I mean, no. Eric's just better than you, Adam. That's really all. We're, that's really <laughs> I, I, I accept it. <laughs> I mean, I probably spent too much time on this, but you know, I. Uh... I'm excited, so the the table will get less inspirational as we go. <laughs> it's gonna dry be great. Brush. It's gonna exactly. be great. Dry brush. <laughs> Look at you! You're even painting some 40k. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, these are these things have been with me for a good like 15 years, and um, they're finally being painted as terrain for infinity. <laughs> <laughs> the the best use for a 40k value. Exactly. Exactly. Give it a little, uh, you know, bright color scheme there. I feel like it almost doesn't feel grim dark. Oh, and, here you go. Um, this is this is our game where you got the yeah. first the first uh, run of the mat that we got for you. Exactly, and that, that's why I threw it in. It's just uh, you can see it kind of taking that next step. Yeah. Um, still, all just like paper and unpainted MDF. But... It's actually kind of funny because a lot of the so the Valkyrie was originally a forge rolled miniature that they converted to plastic. Um, I owned one of the old resin ones back in the day, and uh, they were design. A lot of the Forge World designers like making historic vehicles. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. 
So oftentimes what they're what they're designing is like an alt fan, you know, an alt history tank yeah. that they like slap a las cannon on it and put a couple skulls on it and call it 40k. Yeah. So like the Valkyrie works really well as a dropship for any really any sci-fi game because nothing about it is grimdark. It doesn't have yeah. gothic arches on the cockpit for no yeah. reason, you know. That's a really good point. Yeah, it feels like it could exist basically. As long, you know, as long as there's yeah. not a two-headed eagle, you're <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. th there's one, there's one double-headed eagle and skull bit, and they're both optional and glue on the front. <laughs> like if you're if you're looking for a, a ready, you know, ready to go dropship yeah. for Infinity, it other than knowing it came from 40k, exactly. it looks totally fine on it. It is hard deal. to turn that part of your brain off too. If you if you're familiar if you, with all the if you know, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. If you for know, sure. you know, but it's it's fine. I will. I, so for those yeah. of you looking. Uh, to have your own wargaming table, you know, like I can't fit a four by four table in my house, or you know, I definitely can't fit a six by four table in my house. This is an example of the foldable table topper in action, right? So it's just two sheets of MDF. You can go get uh, basically it's whiteboard material from your local hardware supply store. And as we saw in the first pictures, you just tape, you just cut it into two two by four sheets, right? And then tape it down the middle, to make a hinge, and it folds out on any old folding table you can get at the, also the same hardware supply store, and it totally works. Just don't lean on it, right? Uh, and you'll be you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So that's the yeah. that's one. Yeah, it all goes in the closet. It's pretty great. Yeah, right. It packs up real nice. Um, yeah. Oh, here's some more photos of our game. Yeah. Oh, here's yeah. Uh, and then the Opa at home. This is just uh, you can probably breeze through these. We don't need to spend too much time on them. But just a you know some some hawk Islam guys have been. Is that just your like casual flex that yes I have an Azrael Fearbach? <laughs> yes. <And>, uh, <laughs> just kind of. Yeah. So everybody. <laughs> Everybody knows, yeah. You know, just uh, just hang out here. <laughs> this old thing, I guess I'll paint it. <laughs> Nobody likes these things, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Nobody needs this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here I am, like, calling people I knew in high school to go to the game <laughs> shop down in my hometown and be like, check to see if they have one. And they did. <laughs> so that's where I'm getting mine. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, well that's, done. That's I actually just had that from I got it like right before it went out of print. So um, it's just been sitting around waiting for the paint. Very nice. <laughs> it's like it's like investing in lumber. right? Yeah, exactly. I bought a bunch of cheap. Yeah, <laughs> I've got I still a pile of, you know, from... dimensional lumber in my garage. Does anybody need yeah, exactly. it? <laughs> I've got like eight sheets of plywood from Rosie Ray a few years back. I'm like, that's that's retirement. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, well done. It looks like you were hard at work. Yeah. It's it's yeah. just procrastinating. I like game. That's yeah. what I like to do. Well, let's talk about some games. Let's do it. Um, so I played a few games. Uh, I played a game versus Piotr over in Poland. Uh, he's been a longtime Bromat Academy submitter, and we sort of developed this like pen pal friendship like just going back and forth it's about fun. the stuff he sends sends me and just you know catching up with like uh how his career is going how my career is going it's been fun just like hanging out uh and then he was like you know we never played each other and now cross-continent tabletop simulator infinity is like a commonplace thing it wasn't really like in 2019 i wonder why um but it is now mm -hmm. um and so we we played a game uh he took uh his uh military orders out for the first time and i'm just like hitting that Merovingia button over and over again lately just to really grind through them and make sure I get them. So we played a game. You can check it out. I'll be I'll be posting this on Thursday. Uh, I go a lot into the math of the game and the decision-making behind it. 
there's graphs. Uh, and we talk about, uh, you know, some things that uh, both of us could have done better. But uh, it's, a, it's a really fun game to, to have a look at. Um, he's doing the current Broderman Academy Challenge, so he did take a, uh, a 10 order list, right? Um, and I, I took a Merovingi list with a, with a uh, Anaconda in it, which I really enjoyed. So thumbs, thumbs up for that. Uh, and then, Adam, you and I played a game on your East World table, right? So let's have a look at that, everybody. Um, it's super nice. Mm. Uh, I think we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this uh, just to sort of uh, get people excited about Rose City Raid. Um, effectively, I love it's, this table. Yeah, it's effectively <laughs> Eastworld from the Westworld TV show. I know nothing about that, but that's what Adam told me, so it seems fine. Um, but basically, <laughs> the deal is that uh, pretty much all the buildings have playable interiors. Uh, some are less playable than others, but like like these like small huts at the top are kind of not playable. But uh, the, like the medium-sized ones are all are. And what it sort of creates mm -hmm. is this... Um, yeah, why don't, why don't you explain it? It's your table. <laughs> yeah, so kind of the idea here was um, with all of my tables, I like to find things that disrupt normal gameplay, right? Like the, the most uh, obvious example of that is like the Obelisk Island table where everything is difficult terrain. Good luck. Um, with this one, when you think about like the normal pace, I feel like of an infinity game, there's a lot of moving up and retreating, moving up and retreating. It's kind of two steps forward, one step back. And I was kind of thinking that by having a lot of small playable interior buildings, you actually don't need to retreat very far. Mm. A building is a very defensible position, right? Like if the enemy, you can hide in a building, the enemies have to spend orders coming to get you, and then they have to deal with you at close range, or you might have a template or something or a mine. Um, so I found all these these uh, buildings from Sarissa, which are really reasonably priced. Uh, for the roofs, I just used a bunch of, um, uh, of uh, scouring pads for dishes that I painted. And it has come out working really well. It's all you know, very historically themed, and then the objective room has a uh, historic exterior with a sci-fi interior. That's kind of a, a fun twist. So if you've ever watched Westworld, right? Like they go into buildings or they go into underground bunkers, and they have, uh, you know, all of their their sci-fi lab right down there. So I kind of wanted to make sure that I incorporated that that like this is a sci-fi setting, but it's really just a theme park uh, that you're you know that you're going out and pretending to be a samurai in. Yeah, it's super cool. <laughs> super cool. I mean, it, it ends up like I think Ruben made the comment that it's a sniper's table. Yeah, it's pretty open. Um, mm. I think there's enough ways to get. But there's up. not that many high points. Yeah, there's there's a lot That's of ways nice. to sort of find angles at least to get reasonable engagements. Um, and the, like, being able to hide in the buildings helps a lot. Camo state is important. The uh, one thing that I really do like about the table, I go into a little more detail in the battle report is that a lot of mm -hmm. like sci-fi buildings that are designed, quote unquote designed for infinity have like big windows in them and multiple entry points. These buildings mm -hmm. generally don't. There's like, you can mm -hmm. see in this picture, right? Uh, like this building down here at the bottom uh, where Adam's Jews are all clustered around. There's a couple of like slat windows in there um, and like one door. Uh, so that makes the yeah. buildings a little more playable because the windows don't see the whole table. So you don't like walk in there and immediately get shot by five things. You can like walk in there and then pick the engagement through the window or go prone and be relatively safe. Um, so I like that about it. The The buildings are a little on the small side for infinity scale, but totally work. Yeah, I think they're 28 millimeter scale where infinity is 32. Yeah. So it's just a little bit on the small side, but it looks fine on the table. Yeah. Um, we didn't really run into too many issues with snipers because 
you know, there, there are these long firing lanes, but they're generally very narrow. Mm. Yeah. Is what we found. Yep. And I don't think we really engaged anything over 24 inches the whole game. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I don't think I ever took a neg three on my Spitfire stuff. That's basically how you shot me. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. I did. I did. Uh, the first shot of the game. Uh, this right, one was right. at like 28 inches, I think. Yeah. So so one shot out of the whole game was actually outside of Spitfire range. Yeah. Despite the table, despite the table at mm. first glance feeling like it would be a cypherness, because those those gaps are so narrow that they're easy to smoke past or to cautious move past. Yeah. That they they weren't really as relevant as as you might think. Yeah, and and um, camoing pass was fine. I mean, I think it's a different statement if like you get midfield snipers, right? Then then it's yeah. a different story. There's a couple of like mm. midfield like mm. left to right table edge lanes that are good, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which makes me even more angry that the Chasseur lost their AP sniper rifle profile. Grumble grumble. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's totally workable. Uh, you've got some more scattered in uh, in the work. So um, I mean, the other thing we can do is be a little more judicious about where we place those like uh, hand carts, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So that would help break up things. Like if, for example, like they're, where the Sierra is in this picture doesn't necessarily like that could have easily been behind the, the like the fence, and we could have like put the, sure. the cart in the road, and that would have like helped break up the fire lane a little bit more. Uh, things yeah, like that, yeah. and the Sierra doesn't like lose anything by being behind. It's just like two inches to the the left. It doesn't make a difference, right? So, yeah, it was a good game. Uh, I'll be release. I'm trying to release battle reports on Thursdays now, just to give myself a break and give me some like less time pressure to write them, uh, and also just generate regular content. People seem to like that, so I'm going to try to do that. Uh, but yeah, so it was a it was a fun game. Um, we learned that uh, para commandos are really good. Hmm. Yeah, that was uh, definitely like just because you don't have Mirage Five doesn't mean you're not gonna have scary uh, parachutists. Yep. Come get me. Yep. Uh, Eric, you played a couple games too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been getting a handful um, here and there. So, um, been playing with the other North Portland folks, Nate and Than, and then um, John. You came over for for a game. Yep. Um, but this is a game against Nate where he brought a salamandra and uh, an intruder with a sniper rifle and killed me. <laughs> <laughs> that will happen. Yes. <laughs> yes, I had some, uh, I feel like I, you know, one of those games I'm like, I don't think I made major mistakes, but um, I just couldn't put that intruder down. The big mistake I made was putting uh, Lemuet out in the open because I, I was like, okay, I've seen the salamandra. I know where everything is. I put this guy at a, a, a good angle, and then uh, he put down the intruder and shot him right away. So, yep. Uh, that'll happen. That was, yeah, <laughs> that'll happen. Dude, I love that brutal city terrain. Once the mm -hmm. Rose City raid is over, I've got a full table of it to start building. It's, a, it's becoming a really cool table he's put together here. Yeah, it is. He's got all these little cherry trees down on in these parks too, which I really love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like little pops of color, because you know it's mm -hmm. really easy to just make an all gray board because you just buy a can of gray rattle, you know, primer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, fun game, um, and I've been you know practicing refining my list, so it's still valuable even though mm -hmm. um, he kicked my butt. <laughs> there's the there's the intruder in question. There he is. Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys there playing Rose City Raid missions? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm playing Rift City. Uh, we played. Um, what did we play? We played Frostbite. Mm. Okay, with Spec Ops. With Spec Ops, yeah, yeah. Yep. You also nice. played Than, right? Played Than, yeah. I um oh, on. on his um. Oh, this was a little though. while back. Come on. I believe in you. There we go. Oh yeah, so yep. Than talked to yep. us about this game. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, more, about it, more fan table, table porn though. Yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. I I really liked it. I enjoy something that's you know thematic, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, you you get used to all the the cubes, even if they're beautiful cubes. So yeah, it's nice to sort of get brought back into that imaginative space a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love the way this table looks in a Prisma filter, too. <laughs> it looks really good. Oh, yeah. Sort of soften some of the plasticky bits, right? And make it look a little more uh, comic booky. I will say it made me really glad to have Tariq with his super jump. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, cool, this was my strategy. Tariq was basically the extent of what I planned to do, was run Tariq around and shoot people. And I was like, okay, I have no regrets. <laughs> What a great table. So you're planning on doing uh, uh, Hawk Islam for mm-hmm. Rosie Raid? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I d- I've done Vanilla, Pano, and um, and Assassins for the last two. So it's time for Vanilla Hawk Islam. There you go. And there's Tariq, the man slurry himself. <laughs> St- stepping on that cop car and denting the hood. Well, very cool. Yeah. Adam, did you get any games in with Gene? I did not. Nothing uh, Nothing outside of the thrashing you gave me this week. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely one of those situations where I made two minor deployment errors that you exploited fully. <laughs> We we talked about that a bit. Like if I did a couple things differently, at least yeah. you'd have had to approach it a little bit differently. Yeah, it would have been a different game for sure. But that's why you practice because I am horribly out of practice. So practice say we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, that's it for games. Yeah. So before we uh, before we get into the MOE sponsorship, I think we've got a little something extra for you guys. It's time to unbox Moonstone. Yep, they sent us a copy. Ooh, ah, it's actually not a huge box. It's it's nice. Uh, they sent John and I a copy to play with and review, and then we will be bringing on someone from their team to talk about it uh, in a few weeks. So, without further ado, let's kick this open. But yeah, Crack very very high quality. I mean, it's. I just want to say, like, for a a indie studio the artwork is really top quality and like the actual like feel of the box this feels like a legit product yeah it is oh, yeah. very nice let's see here i've got the d4s which are used as the objective markers and then just 2d6 yeah so just uh, while you unboxes those those objective markers you roll yeah. the d4 and then that's how many actions you need to achieve the objective so some maybe like you you roll a one you do it in one one thing you roll a four and it takes four or whatever to to do it so it kind of gives you a little bit of distribution of difficulty of objectives that's random which is kind of fun or caltrips yeah, yeah. So you can just leave them around as caltrips too okay so lots of goodies in here the print the the rule book this looks kind of like a quick start rule book yeah um 
full color. The the yeah, the printing is nice quality. It's you know it's not glossy, but it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice little quick start rule book. We'll have to definitely give this a whirl. We've got bases. They're kind of the the domed side bases. Yeah. They are D and G, which kind of is they they make a lot of bases. Um, yeah, so kind of like war machine bases if you're familiar. And then we've got some acrylic. I think these are the energy tokens. Yep, energy tokens and a movement, movement aid. Yeah, movement thingy. One, two, three, and four. Great. Like, that's actually kind of a cool thing. Usually, these are something you're going to spend five bucks on for most games you play anyways. Yep, just comes so, with it. To have, to have that widget is neat. We've got, these look like the unit profile cards. Yep, so this is the close combat, and that's the regular stats. Very nice. So the quality of the card, if you can tell in the picture, it has kind of like a poker playing card texture to it. So it looks kind of like a, a weave instead yeah. of um, instead of like a magic card, which is a ceramic uh, ceramic coated. So this is more of a, a plastic coated poker card style card, but totally fine. The the printing is actually really really high quality. It's really crisp and clear. So even though this really small type is only you know six point font, it's totally legible. Yeah, there's no oh, there's no nice. bleeding not... or smudging or anything like that. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of of chipping. Yeah, of the the color on the edges. Yeah, you'll get some edge wear. Per... Just sleeve them. You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, exactly. You might not even. I mean, you're not really shuffling these cards, but yeah, if you sleeve them, it'll be totally fine. Yeah. But they're that plastic coating is usually pretty resilient. Um, and then this, this is the deck of <clears throat> the cards they use for, for basically doing all the combat. Yeah, kind of like yeah, Malifaux, you have you, cards card-based stuff. Yeah, it's the same uh, same card printing as the other cards. Nice back, good-looking mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. These these you do shuffle, right? So you, you will want to sleeve. These you do shuffle, yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. So you've got two different decks. I mean, I, I think I think it'll be pretty straightforward, though. I mean, you, you do lose access to the very nice tuck box they gave you, uh, but you can easily just print your own, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, I'm sure yeah, some enterprising enterprising nerd on the internet will provide designs for you to print. Yeah, not bad. All right, let's get to the toys. This is my favorite part. Yeah. Uh, out of my way, dice. So here we are. They're all resin. This is a nice little cardboard box. Let's take a look here. So, who do we have here? Oh, this is the best one. This is Doug the Flatulent. And the resin feels kind of sturdy. It feels kind of like um like forgeable quality resin, kind of one of the you know, some of the higher quality um stuff that definitely has some flex to it, which is nice, given that that's on a on a lance. And honestly, that's pretty impressive that it's not warped. Um, or the warp is very minimal, mm-hmm. considering how long that is. Yeah. So they let, they let it cure a good long time. The detail looks fantastic. I don't know if you can see the chain mill down around the neck in the picture. And then, of course, Doug the Flashylance's wonderful pug face right there with the giant eyes. I can't wait to paint this guy. Um, <laughs> you should do all the of them in your, uh, your watercolor style. That's 100% why I started doing the watercolor style. Uh, so that I could figure out how to do it on 28 millimeter for these guys. So the head, yeah, no, this all fits really, this all feels really nice. Um, 
no you know no major flash and the 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 molds the casting is very solid yeah whoever they got to do the casting knows what they're doing yeah even like looking i'm like looking for flash and mold lines and they're extremely minimal um i would definitely no, no put this warp on, on that art. rifle either right no that rifle looks perfectly straight you know you can see right there that's that's perfect um yeah even the one piece models look solid yeah well i am very much looking forward to uh playing this john let's do it it comes with four models per side i think the four sides <laughs> is that you eric sorry as <laughs> a that was a loud car so a full a full game of this is six models per side. It comes with four per side. So for a starter pack, it's not bad because you can basically just get your uh, get the starter pack and then add one of their boxes. They've got different, um, basically different three model boxes for each faction. So you could figure out which one plays the style you want and add it to the starter and have a full sized army. It's really not bad. I love Doug the Flatulent. That's an amazing model. Well, cool. Thank you guys very much over at Moonstone. This is looking really fun. I think it's Goblin King Games is the name of the studio. And uh, we'll definitely give you guys more information as we play the game and report back. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. With that, it is now time for da -da -da -da, the Mythic Game Sponsorship. Wee! Here come the sweet prizes. We need to record a, uh, a stinger for that someday. Um, right. So every week, Mythic Games, more specifically Ruben, who I think is in chat right now, provides one of our lucky listeners with a $10 gift certificate over to moe-games.com. Eric, it is up to you. Yeah, Ruben coin. Oh, man. Uh, no, we're not going not gonna to start more crypto mining. Um, <laughs> Eric, it is up to you to uh, pick a word for the people to enter into chat. And whoever, you know, people will do that thing. You guys will have a chance to do it. And then John pushes the button and picks somebody randomly uh, who correctly answered the word to win the stuff. Eric. Um, let's go with Fiddler. Fiddler, all right. F-I-D-D-L-E-R, the mm -hmm. amazing character. I am super stoked about that character. And she's sectoral only, right? Is there any vanilla faction that gets her? Am I crazy? Did Vanilla Hawk Islam get her? Well, maybe. And maybe I'm just projecting my wishes. Right. That's that might be it. Probably it. All right. Oh, Vanilla Hawk Islamaz. All right, John, go ahead and push the button. We'll see who wins. Hey, it's Abiscus. Congratulations, Abiscus. I will go ahead and get your information over to Ruben, and. You'll get your sweet credit. So, I think that means it is time to, to get to the thing. Without further delay, it's time for the main event. So tonight we are here talking about uh, sectorals versus vanilla. And this is something that has been, I think, debated as long as there have been both sectorals and vanilla. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so let's uh let's go ahead and 
basically kind of break down what is this, you know what are sectorals. You know, there are definitely some new players on WGC that I actually was like, you should listen tonight because I'm answering this exact question. Uh, so what is the difference between a sectoral and vanilla, basically, right? And right away, vanilla is the you you play everything of that of that faction, and sectoral is kind of a themed subset of units that are only for you know, for that for that style for that that setting or the the specific army or regiment that they come from. Um, so to to really define it, you you define what sectoral does basically by what they do differently in vanilla. And the big thing is they give you access to fire teams. Um, that is where you get to activate multiple models simultaneously as a group, and the larger that group, the more bonuses you get. So, you know, a two-man just means that they all get to move together. Neat. Uh, three-man is going to give you the extra burst. Four-man is going to give you that sixth sense, and five is going to give you the plus three blitz skill. So, the 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 bigger the Death Star, the more deathy the Death Star is. I didn't, <laughs> didn't write that line in advance. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> yeah. <perfect. laughs> well done. The the other less obvious. Uh, Less obvious benefit, though, is the change of availability, right? And this is something where um, you might only be able to take one or two of a model in your vanilla list, say a Grunt in Ariadna. I think you're only limited to two. Mm -hmm. But when you play US Ariadna, their total availability, you can have a bajillion of them or 15, whatever, you know, whatever comes first. 15. Um, 15 will come first? I think so. I'm, I'm no math, a mathematician. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, and, and then, of course, the last thing are going to be uh, characters and unique models that are only available to sectorals. So sometimes there's specific mercenaries that work with them. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or characters or units. Um, and basically, what you're doing with a sectoral is you're reducing the number of options you have available. Um, but in doing so, you're also getting the advantage of making what you do have more powerful or more op more being able to take more of the same thing um, if you want specific tools. And to me, this kind of feels like you're getting a lower cognitive load during uh, during list building, but instead giving yourself possibly a little bit more extra cognitive load during the game. True. Uh, yeah. What do you think of that, John? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, it's absolutely the case that there's less there's less stuff on the menu to choose from. Mm. So you don't you don't you're not stuck in a weird position. You're like, do I take the Bolt or the Bog Marie? Right? They do kind of the same thing, but not really. But I don't know. Oh, what do I choose? Right? They both have sniper rifles. Like I want I want a sniper rifle. Which one do I pick? So you like you have to choose between all the high quality uh, Pano sniper rifles in vanilla. But if you're playing NCA, it's like, well, I have the Bolt, and that's what I'm taking. All right, let's do it. Um, so there's definitely lower cognitive load from that perspective, but I think there's a little bit more because now you have to worry about what your fire team competition co composition looks like, um, which is I think probably a little mm. less cognitive load than being like there's hundreds of options. Which one do I pick? So uh, there's that, but I definitely find sectorials, especially link teams, a little more difficult to play because there's yeah. just more things happening in a shorter time span. So the cognitive load is just higher. Period. That link team kind of becomes like a list within your list sometimes. You know, you're kind of swapping guys in and out of there, and then the rest of your list can kind of, you know, orbit that link team in certain cases right. as well. Right. Right. I mean, your link is 
up to a third of the total number of models you're going to have in your whole army. So one third of your army has to work cohesively together in the same place. You know, within basically a 16 inch diameter circle, they're moving around the table as a blob. <laughs> the blob, yes. Right. Eight. And that is. Oh, yeah, I suppose that takes 16, a lot of yeah. extra thinking. It's 16 plus the one, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have to plan a lot more about your movements because things like Noctifers exist or just blast weapons and template weapons in general. If you walk your whole link team through, um, you know, through a, a gap with a mine in it and the mine goes off and hits everyone, you're not happy. You shouldn't have done that. I mean, those things generally happen pretty rarely. We talk about, like, I think mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the straw man thing. It's like, oh, yeah, links are bad because Noctifers and Swiss, Swiss, missile guard, uh, Swiss guard missile launchers exist. Right, but really, it's right. just the like the real everyday problem with links is where do I put the fourth and fifth model? Mm. You know, you're mm. moving these guys around, yeah. and it's easy to place the first three, right? You place you place the gun, you place the specialist, and you place the guy you want to protect, like the doctor or something. And then you've got the two mooks. And yeah. You're like, what do I? What do I? You ran out of movement. You're standing in the middle of the road. What are you gonna do, right? So. It's it's always it's always difficult to to place the the last you know two to three models in the link when you're especially yeah. when you're moving. Um, so and as far as just the you know dividing the table into space, you're you're investing quite a bit of just your footprint as far as like what you're covering, what you're contesting. You're investing quite a bit of it in a single spot, and then if you say this link team is also going to push my buttons, uh, you know you have to think about okay, moving up the table, everybody has to get into cover. Yeah. So like you know we can do it concretely right so here's here's a here's an example deployment that actually happened uh in in a game recently so i can actually talk about it just a little bit yeah sure so here, here we go. go so here's here's an example deployment that actually happened um right something like this so these guys are kind of stuck here right they have to stay within an eight-inch bubble of, in this case, the Aguasil hacker was my was my uh, link team leader, uh, and I wanted the Moblo up here, who has an HMG, so I could project firepower down this lane and attack anything like from here, right? That was bothering me, or I could swing around wide and shoot this direction as well. Let me turn off the grid just to make things a little more legible. Oops, I should actually click on the thing. Um, but the problem is they're all stuck here, right? They can't really be mm. further apart. So if I wanted somebody over here, right, I have to dedicate resources to do it, uh, or I, I can't split them apart, right? They have to be there. This also limits my forward movement a little bit, right? Because if I want to move this Moblo up, for example, like to take uh, to take a shot, maybe, the, maybe there's a target over here, right, which I can't see from this position, but I want to get to this truck. I have to move the Moblo basically there, and then down the stairs to the to the to the bus. Um, and if I were to do that, what do the other four members of the link do, right? And you can say like, oh, well, right. that's bad deployment, John. You should have just done this, right? And and now you're fine because everybody can just vault this wall here, and they can all just go trundling forward down these stairs. But that's a recipe for disaster, as uh, many <laughs> of you probably are looking at this deployment and cringing, right? <laughs> right. That is the blob. Yeah, the blob is bad. So this is, so this is where that cognitive load. So if we think about, mm -hmm. like, if we go back to vanilla, right? Yeah. So what does vanilla get you? It gets you all of the things, mm -hmm. which means that there is a, I think there is a higher cognitive load during list building, because you, yeah. especially if you're, if you're playing Ariadna, 
which flavor camel marker do I want? I've got 17 to pick from, right? Which camo specialist, you know, all these things. There's, you've got so many options that you're really doing a lot of work to figure out which one is best for you in that exact moment. Um, but on the flip side, I feel like there's lower cognitive load during gameplay for these exact reasons. You're only having to maneuver one model at a time. You're, you're, the, the, the units that you took, you didn't take the only uh, camo infiltrating specialist you had. You took the best one that you felt you could get. Right, so you get yeah. to make the more efficient choices. You get to make the choices that you're more comfortable with. And I would make the argument: you put each unit in the spot that it made the most sense for that unit to be. And I think one of the dangers of the link team is that people end up being next to the guy they need to be next to, and therefore there may be, you know, they're maybe all the way across the table from where they actually would be most efficiently placed. Right, and that. That's I, there's almost maybe a wash there when it comes to like deployment cognitive load because you do have the the deployment load of how do I deploy a five man link team mm -hmm. which I which I hate yeah I hate that so much <laughs> but so much but, but then there's the okay well if I can be anywhere where do I go right. I love that feeling <laughs> personally personally you know yeah it's, it's a little liberating <laughs> it just it just gives you so much but, more flexibility I think right and I think. Yeah, so uh, so Defock in chat mentioned that he's new and he started with sectorals, and I think that that is not a bad necessarily bad thing. You could go either way, and which one's the best one to start. Personally, I actually recommend sectorals because yeah, it reduces the pool of models that somebody is buying from. Yes. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you, they have less tools to have to learn, but they do have to learn how to do link teams. And so there's an, yeah, and the link team's an interesting one. I feel like you, um, there's a number of different ways to think about your link team. You know, you have the like 40 point upgrade to your Kamau sniper, you know, um, where it's like that's actually just, you know, one unit that you're really trying to place on the table to contest things, and then four guys who are there to upgrade that unit. Um, but right. then you've got, you know, your, your mobile link team or your, um, and of course, you don't even have to go your full your full five man link team and that's where i think that cognitive load starts to get a little bit crazy where you're like okay if i'm going to move up the table do i take everybody or do i take two people it's yeah. really tough yeah. to to figure out the right balance there and a lot of it is like what do you like how are you like it, 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 what kind of link team are you building right are you building the come out plus four fusiliers sort of situation right or are you building sort of a flexible link team that can do a lot of different things um, that you know roughly sit around maybe 20 25 points on average per trooper um, and that's a, that's a very different style of link team and then of course there's defensive versus offensive can this link handle itself in the midfield right what is its expected attrition rate right uh, how well can it absorb something yeah tower versus train is a great way to put it Vanderbain yeah. um, there's there's like a little there's little bits of nuance there uh, as well um, I think it's important to 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 recognize that you can play a sectoral with a lot of flavors of vanilla in there, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. you know, I I think uh, if you really want to um, get good at the game, you should play a ten order vanilla list or a ten model. Sorry, a ten model vanilla <laughs> list um, because that really for like that strips away all the crutches, right? And you just have to play the perfect game. Um, and I think that's a, a great way to, to challenge yourself. Uh, but as a, if, as a workhorse recommending to a new person, like do not start that way, you will hate it. 
uh, definitely buy yeah. buy into like whatever army pack looks cool to you. Play the sectorial yeah. that's aligned with that army pack. Uh, go ahead and do the big stompy guy with like four you know mooks that cost fifteen points, ten to fifteen points each, and just run that guy around gunning stuff away. Like that's totally fine, absolutely valid way to play, um, and it'll teach you a lot about the basic mechanics of the game. And then you can start expanding into vanilla when you're when you're ready, or even if you like, if you if you never expanded to vanilla. That's totally fine too, right? There's nothing. I don't think there's any reason that you no. have to. Mm. Um, I just think that if you want to really uh, explore um, figuring out what how to best read a board state and how best to evaluate what the highest priority thing for you to do in a turn is, the best way to do that is to play vanilla. I think. Which means you'll never be a good player if you only play Toha. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean toha is a crush right so there's that <laughs> um so uh space monkey in chat says uh how do you have to be or um do you have to be better playing vanilla to know which option to choose uh and then how to use that in a game and actually i kind of think no mm. so w the best option to use is the one that you feel comfortable using yes great you know, a good example like yeah. If you take a, going back to Ariadna's example, if you know that you need a for a uh, camo infiltrating specialist, right, and that's the limit to to your focus of what you need this model for, the Fox Trot is amazing. Yep. It's the cheapest camo specialist in the game. It's 18 points. It'll go push the button. But for a few more points, you can get a SAS. If you look at a SAS and be like, that looks like a lot of bloat. You know, I'm paying three points to downgrade my rifle to a light shotgun and chain rifle. You know, and I, I, I lose mines in exchange for decharges, and I'm spending a bunch of points in close combat. Right? If that feels like bloat to you, then you can take the unit that you're more comfortable with, just as the job that you want to focus mm -hmm. on. Where if you're playing Caledonia, you'd be like, well, guess what? Deal with it. Learn to sass. Yeah. Yeah. I think the big piece there too is, you know, uh, to you is the important part of that. You know. Right. Yeah. What, what feels comfortable to you? If if you say, hey, this individual unit doesn't make a lot of sense to me, then that's kind of the most important piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of personal development and personal play styles that affect when something is the right choice. Yeah. I, I love SATs, um, but they're definitely not for everyone. And you know, it's like the same people that take, you know, they take a, a Malignos and they do the same job that they could have done a Shrouded with. Right. So it's like, well, you're paying 35 points for something that should have cost 20. You know, like, it, you you've got your own point efficiency that you need to address just in your own play style. Um, yeah. But again, if you look at something like if you look at something like a sass or a scout, and you're like, how can I use all of these horrible things that it comes with? Then that might be a good tool for you. I mean, the mm -hmm. scout fort observer is a whip still a whip thirteen camo infiltrating fort observer that costs thirty points to so the foxtrot's eighteen. Mm -hmm. So you're and talking it does different stuff. It does totally different stuff, but if you're not comfortable throwing your burst two Ohutnik out there, yeah, like then it totally makes sense to be like, you know what, maybe, maybe stick with the Foxtrot. So there is, I think that that question is is more of a um, more of a self reflection point mm -hmm. and your own understanding of units and your own understanding of how of how you want to use units, and less of a what is best in slot for this army. Well, because what best what is best in slot for that army is based on you, right? You're part of that exactly. equation. It's not exactly like it's not you know what the stats say. It's how you use it, right? Yeah. Um, 
And so I think yeah. a lot and of it is just specifically what you, what you intend to do with it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times you'll take stuff and never use it. And then you'll be like, well, that was dumb. Why did I take that? Well, play another game with the same list against a different opponent, a different matchup. You'll be like, Oh God, I'm yes. so happy I had this thing. Right. So, uh, there's, there's a tendency to, to sort of only look at one game history back. Sometimes I've, I've noticed, especially when you're new mm -hmm. and everything is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's not a reflection on like your capability, like long-term to figure out like what to do about the game. It's like, well, there's a lot going on. It's totally reasonable for you to be overwhelmed and only be able to absorb like one game in your memory, like your short-term working memory at a time. That's totally fine. Uh, as you get more experience and you can chunk more and like things become more mental muscle memory, so to speak, you'll be able to look past like one game and be like, okay, I can now evaluate, say, a scout in the context of like the last three to five games that I've played of Vanilla Ariadna. And I now like it when I didn't like it before because I've used it in a different way uh, instead of just remembering what happened last game. I've, I've, like, I've seen a lot of new players do that too. So um, just a random note. Yeah. And then, uh, so something else so we've, we talked about, like it gives you a bunch of options. You have a more diffuse uh, deployment, yeah. right? You get to you get to you get to spread yourself across the table in the way that you feel is most efficient, as opposed to having to try to maintain this artificial uh, proximity that's required by fire teams, right? Um, and then there's also kind of a, a mess of uh, a mess of really cool mercenaries. Mm. Yeah. So we talk about there's a lot of unique character access to sectorals. There's also a lot of unique character access to uh, vanilla as well. And that includes like Lemieux, mm -hmm. who, I mean, a, a two wound, you know, mimetism negative six multi sniper with MSV1. Like, sure, you play vanilla, you can have that. I mean, but uh, a ODD sniper with two wounds is a huge deal. Like, if you're not prepared for that, really big deal. he can completely lock down the table. <laughs> like, if you have an open table and he's just sitting on a like a corner in your opponent's deployment zone, just like watching everything and you have no answer to that. And mm -hmm. you're just sort of like hoping mm -hmm. to dice, like mm -hmm. out dice him or something. You, you might just lose the game straight up. Right. So yeah. I think yeah. uh, vanilla's depth of options and like random things you can just throw in there um, completely uh, can, can define a meta. Right. So if, if one player starts right. taking yeah. the Mew, you'll just, Regularly, you'll just see MSV start cropping up everywhere in everybody else's mm -hmm. lists. Well, and so what this actually kind of what this is, is building towards is that when you play a vanilla army, you have a higher cognitive load during your own list building, mm -hmm. but your opponent also has a higher cognitive load, mm -hmm. not knowing what they're going against. Right? If you go against US Ariadna, you've got a really good idea of what's going to be involved in the army. Yeah. You don't have that many options. But if I play vanilla Ariadna, you have no clue what to expect. Yeah. And you have no clue even after I've deployed what to expect. Yeah, what's under that camo token? <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, it, the, difference, the difference between playing NCA, or sorry, not NCA, let's say military orders and, um, and vanilla piano is that when I play against military orders, I know there's not a Swiss missile launcher. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I play against vanilla or NCA, it's like, well, I have, you know, I have to do the math before deployment's over. Yep. Like, are they are they down eighty points? How bad? Like, is there a is there going to be a cutter hiding in the wings? You know, in in Bruno or Vanilla. Like, suddenly I'm having to do all these mental gymnastics to try to just figure out what the hell I'm going against. 
Yeah, I will say, so the comparison between Vanilla Pano and Military Orders does make me remember a point I wanted to bring up, which is that you can sometimes play a sectorial, people don't do this very often, but you can play it a little bit like a vanilla list where you don't have to put everybody in a five-man link team. And I think mm -hmm. Military Orders is a great case study for that because they have uh, Trinitarian tertiaries and they can have a bunch of um, you don't have to put all of your Tudan Knights into a link team. You can distribute them across the table and have them all run up the table. So I think they're, um, although I haven't seen a lot of people do it, I think there's an interesting argument to be made that certain sectorials lend themselves to, with that increased availability, not just creating a big blob and moving it up the table. It's it's not increased availability. Yeah. It's the, it's availability of deployment options, I think. Right? Because you, mm -hmm. you can certainly have a, a thing where you have a ton of, uh, stuff that starts in your deployment zone, and you're like, oh, I can just play this like vanilla. But really, the the thing you're trying to get uh, back more towards vanilla from a sectorial is the ability to deploy outside of your deployment zone. So I have a mm -hmm. perfect example, which is the game that uh, Adam and I played. Um, so we can take a look at my list real quick. I've got a five-van link. What's what's in there is not important. Uh, but the, the the salient takeaway is that it's a briscard link with two wild cards, and like the average point cost is like 25-ish. Okay, so it's not cheap. Right. That's a pretty uh, that's what 125 like points. Half your army. That's like half my army, right? I mean, the rest of it yeah. is just stuff that doesn't start in my deployment zone, right? Basically, so if you look at actually my deployment, um, here's a picture of it. Uh, you can see that my link started in the bottom left corner. Uh, it's the you know just these these five models here, and then literally everything else is not in my deployment zone. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in fact, I spent one order on my link the entire game, and I did not arrow at all. Right. So this is me, like, <laughs> like the, the, the challenge to myself was like, all right, John, you're going to play a five-man link in Merovingia just so you're forced to use a five-man link. And he immediately was like, great, order battery. That cost 125 <laughs> points. This yeah. is super efficient. Um, and then I ended up just, like, doing stuff with all the other, other troops because I'm just so more used to that, right? Like, I yeah. want to use the, the infiltrating stuff. I want to use the airborne deployment because it's just so more order efficient. It I know is a exactly, safer order yeah. battery. It is a safer there's order a, battery, a, yeah. There's a huge sunken cost fallacy with links as well. Mm. Yeah, true. Like, like John spent half his army on this five-man link. Like now you got to use it. <laughs> yeah, I got to use it, right? I got to get my points worth. Yeah, the uh, the the peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like I I got I got I should just push it up, right? Didn't spend an order on it. Spent one order shooting that peacemaker. That was it. That's all I did. <laughs> the yeah. whole game. It is it is it is a big trap to get to get yourself into yeah. where you feel like you have to use. Your well, I think this time. is why I don't love link teams because I know myself, um, I get stuck in this spiral where I'm like, I have to use the link team. And the deeper I go, the deeper I committed to it I am. The, you know, the further that right. team goes up the table, the right. more I'm like, well, now they're in a tough spot. I have to, you know, I have and to just throw just them like out. Yeah. one bad choice after another. <laughs> throw more resources after them to extricate them from the horrible choice that we've made. Exactly. Uh, but I think, I think. Choices. So like this this link is intended to be pretty aggressive, right? It's got a mobile HMG Wolfgang who will just like rip you to shreds in close combat. And then three Briscards, which are very dangerous at 24, right? Uh, and even up close, it's got assault pistols. Um, and this list is designed for mind wipe, highly classified, and annihilation. Um, those are the three RCR scenarios I, I'm trying to cover uh, with it. And so, I mean, obviously this is a great list for, uh, it's a great link for highly classified. It's got two... Uh, 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 to um, specialists and MSV and like all the classified coverage because of the, the, the characters and whatnot. Um, 
but you don't need to use it. Uh, and also what it sort of let me do is be more aggressive a, because I wasn't terribly concerned about any of those guys being in trouble, right? Uh, Adam's playing Drews. He's got two Hunza cuts. I've got MSV. So that means I'm not going to be worrying about their, their camo. Uh, and I'm in a link, so I don't worry about the surprise shot. So I felt pretty reasonable about that. Um, I also not worried about like their, the stuff in his backfield because there's stuff in the way terrain wise. Um, and so that let me, Say like, okay, this is safe five orders I'm going to have for the whole game pretty much unless something crazy happens. Uh, so I can be really aggressive with the other things in that group, like uh, Bruant, who ended up like soloing mm -hmm. Adam's army, right? Um, and a, a paracommando as well. Spoilers! So, yeah, right? Uh, so, but like, I would never take that risk with the Link, right? I'm not going to march that Link up. But Link is totally capable of murdering the crap out of like whatever Adam puts out there. There's a linked HMG in there, right? With that's That's BS-13. It's going to kill stuff but I didn't have to mm -hmm. expend any of those resources doing it. And and then if something went horribly wrong with like, say Bruant dying to a lucky crit or something, uh, then I've got a whole five man link there to like, just push forward and pick him back up with the paramedic or, or just keep going uh, with, with the other stuff. So it gives you a nice, um, like, I, I guess if you're in that mental trap of like, I spent the money on the link, I have to use it. Mm -hmm. I think you should switch it around and think of it as an insurance policy. Right, like mm -hmm. I bought the insurance for my other pieces on the table, and now I can, um, and I can be very aggressive with them, and knowing that I have a safe five orders to do stuff with, that's very efficient because I can move all these guys up together. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so it's. Yeah, I think uh, for me, this game reminded me. Yeah, out of practice, right? So this game definitely reminded me of why I generally don't like five mans. Because it is your eggs all in one basket. Now, mm -hmm. just because you play sectoral doesn't mean you need to take a five man. You know, a lot of people feel like the first thing you have to go is fill out all five mans and then get to 15 orders and then they win. You want to right? talk about your and deployment? And how bad it was? Well, this is specifically, specifically related to the five man. I don't know if you had any points you wanted to make. We, okay. we, can, we can skip yeah, it if you so, want. No, no, it's totally fine. Um, so the five man basically... I picked this side because it had more deployment options, and I, I, or so I thought. And if I was playing vanilla, it would have been great deployment options, I think, because there was a lot of cover and a lot of total cover spread evenly across the whole backfield. Mm -hmm. Plenty of places for me to go. But what I didn't calculate into into basically my my plan when I was picking sides was how do I fit five models in a small area comfortably. Yeah, and that was much more difficult on this table. So, what I ended up doing is the I had to basically bunker around this middle larger building. Uh, so I threw my lieutenant in there, uh, and then I threw a Druze HMG and grenade launcher outside the building just to use it for some cover. And then I had to fit a bounty hunter, a brawler, hacker, and my clipper, kind of sprinkled around in a circle around this building. I couldn't really deploy further into the building because the door was facing my backside, so or my, my deployment edge. So I couldn't like walk out the far side of the building and move up. So I had to think about how I'm gonna funnel all of this together, basically down this little corridor to the right side of the building in order to advance it up the table, get to the middle, get to the middle room and then feel good about life. Um, my, the issue I had during deployment was I relied too heavily on just the Sierra alone holding down this flank. So as soon as Bruant came out and aced the Sierra, literally nothing was watching mm -hmm. that whole right-hand side of the table. And here came John's pair of commandos. 
but the big thing really was that the the three man link I had, I was able to deploy in a place in a place that I thought was very comfortable. Um, with the two models behind the fence, the authorized bounty hunter and the spec ops on the left, and then Wolfgang behind his little animal hut, uh, in the in between the two, and that is a lot more of a, a flexible unit to move around. I was able to use the the more spread out terrain on that side of the table yeah. to do that in. But once I had to have five models in that small area, um, it was rough. And in retrospect, what I probably should have done is deployed. I didn't need to deploy a five man. You know, Drews have all kinds of link options. Right. I could have easily run a duo and a, a second three-man mm -hmm. with those five models, and then got more models on the right-hand side. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of mistakes were made in the uh, not in the list composition. I love the list. I would mm. run that list this any day of the week. Yep. Mm. Yeah, but in trapping myself into the mentality of having to use a five-man and then having mm -hmm. to deploy this five-man you know, in the limited spaces that are available on the table. You don't need to define your links until after you're done with deployment. Well, this is where we get into a little bit of that um, mental load question, because um, the moment you get to the table and you start going, wait, do I break the team? Do I keep the team together? Do, mm -hmm. I, do I do two and three? That's, yeah. you're, you're already kind of getting in that place where you're, you know, you're turning the gears and, you know, with vanilla, I find that I just get there and I go, okay, this guy is best in this spot. This guy's best in that spot. And it's not a question of, you know, do I bunch them together? Um, I do think that it sounded like you were probably going to talk about um, throwing some three-man teams out there. And um, it was, it was, you know, looking at your deployment there, that is kind of why I hate the five-man, because you had the Sierra drone bot saying, okay, I got this whole side of the table because everybody else has to be over there. Yeah, um, that's yeah. the danger, right? That's the danger of the five man. Yeah, right. And if I had a three man, like where the Sierra is on the right there, yeah, I could have exactly. put a three man on that side uh, in the same position where the Sierra is, and then behind the fence, and then behind that little building, in a perfectly good position for a three man on the wide flank. Yeah. Um, but I'm instead a fan of the three man team, yeah. Yeah. So Defoc actually asks if it's worth taking two. Three, a three-man core, basically, is what he's asking. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I think say, we're all fans of that, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> um, I, I prefer it to the five-man core for most of my lists. Yes. You know, I'll take a five-man if, if it's a cheap defensive link, right? If, yeah. I'm, playing, if I'm playing JSA and I want a cheap five-man Kaisosu link with yeah. two missile launchers exactly. that, are just there to be, yeah, that are just there to be a pain in the ass for 60 points, Totally fine. Order battery, totally fine. Um, same thing with uh, with like moderators and Bakunin. Yep. Right. Here's a couple. Yeah. Here's just a super cheap link. They're gonna sit in the back with an MSR or dirt cheap Spitfire and just attack whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. um, fine. But when you start taking a five man offensive link and you have to start maneuvering that five man yep. link to get value out of it, every time you maneuver is a huge cognitive load you have to undertake. Yeah. For how you can do it efficiently. The more abstract thought you have to apply to this thing with a ton of variables, the more complex it gets. So I think that five-man five with the two missile launchers is a great example of you've just put this into a very digestible box for yourself. It's like, okay, this is a five-man with two missile launchers. It goes in a spot. That's the end of my thought process. Yep. And some armies really lend themselves strong towards the, the two three-man links. Um, Ruben points out that, like, Shazvasti do it very well. They don't they don't love five man links. You don't want just like a whole bunch of um, <laughs> what are they? They're not seed soldiers now. I just brain farted on their name. That's funny. Um, 
But yeah, you don't want to have Knox. Thank you. Yeah, you don't want to have a bunch of like a pile of Knox in the same place, right? Um, you don't want a big core of their, you know, of their basically other expensive options. Um, you need, you know, you got to think about it. Yeah, and actually, SEF, I don't even think they have other core options, right? Shazvasi only have Knox as core. So you take your three man, you take your three man Knox link, and then a three man Harris. Mm. Um, of you know cutthroats or guilo or guilo in cutthroats right Can they no guilo's joined the uh joined the m drone right that's about it like they're they're not huge on the the five mans and really i don't think any army has to be exactly and i think that that's the that's almost a trap to say okay i'm playing a sectorial where's my five man i think the shasvasti almost teaches us something you know we should apply elsewhere as well now, something you might think about if you are playing with a five-man is if you have the ability to also duo or Harris members of that team. Mm-hmm. Because then you can take something like why I should have done. One of the huge strengths of Druze is how many, how flexible their links are. So, like, I should have been, here's my intended five-man, or here's my toolbox with which I'll make my five-man out of. Uh, when I get to the game table, right? Or instead of doing a five game, you know, actually a three man, a two man is be better here. Um, you have to be flexible with the way that you think about your links. When you just take five models to be in your link and sell yourself on the tr- like the truth that this has to be the five man, mm-hmm. then you're gonna kind of you're kind of setting a trap for yourself. And if you're expo- yeah. if your opponent is used to exploiting that weakness, it's pretty easy to get to. Yeah, the other thing that's tough about five-man links is that uh, you can get into this sort of star configuration, which is really bad, right? So in this case, like, mm. if this Aguasil here in the center is 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 the uh, uh, the link leader, right? She's within eight inches of everybody, so this is legal, right? But let's say I want to make this Moblo the active turn piece. So this is my defensive... This is actually a pretty reasonable defensive thing. Like, let's assume this wasn't Merovingia, and, like, I've got a dude up here with a sniper, a dude over here with, like, an HRL or HMG or something, and then I got two mooks with chain rifles or something in my link guarding my backfield. This is great. Really good in terms of defensive deployment. I've got my two arrow pieces up. I've got stuff to to prevent, you know, like airborne troopers or impersonators from ruining my day. And I've got the guy that I want to protect, like my hacker in this case, which is my specialist, in the middle, surrounded by all his buddies to protect him, right? Now, let's say it's my active turn and I want to shoot something with this guy. Well, I can't because the (laughs) Moblo is 10 inches away from this Metro here. So as soon as I activate this, Metro's out of the link. And now I've lost my plus three BS, right? So yep. this happens to me all the time, and it it sucks. And I mean, like you can plan to to solve this problem, but I think you just spend so much time. Like typically, my experience like with links is like, okay, you either just sort of like throw stuff down, you're like, hey, it's fine, I'll deal with it later, right? Or you throw stuff out. Like I've seen people do this as well. They build like a literal, you know, they build they build this formation where they actually like tightly stack everything behind a building, which they know is not going to get shot by something, right? Let's say they're sure, like, let's say you're not playing against Vanilla Hawk and you're sure there's no impersonators. And they're like, okay, I'm ready to move this link up. I'll find a good spot for them. They want to be in this spot. They're hidden and they can push up and then I can like move this guy to the corner or something, right? And then very safely shoot something, keeping them out of missile template range in case I'm worried about a Swiss. Okay. What happens if your opponent puts down something that forces all of your orders to be used in the midfield and now you're stuck with this in your deployment zone? right that's awful too right so i think you end up 
locking yourself into these like weird deployment situations, which are entirely preventable in vanilla because you're not constrained by this at all. Um, and then you just sort of have to ask like, what are you using the link for, right? So when you're building a link, typically you're like, all right, well, I want I want to beef up some big gun, and you're like, all right, cool. So the big guns in the link, great. Well, if I have a big gun, the big gun will get me somewhere. I'm gonna throw in a specialist, great. So now I can shoot stuff and push buttons. And you're like, oh, I've only got two people in my link. I should add a third to really get that that like get the bonus, right? Because the the two person link bonus is blank, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, this, I don't I don't get anything for this, so I should add in the third thing, get that all elusive plus like plus one burst. Yeah, I want that thing. So you throw in a third thing, you're like, oh yeah, maybe some utility, maybe like a doctor or an engineer or something. Keep my keep my link going. And you're like, okay, well I'm ready at three. I'm this this extra <laughs> Zanshi is only like what eleven points. Yeah, sure, throw one in. Paramedic, yeah, throw that in too. Right, and now you've got a five a five model link, and you're like, great, this feels good. And then you start moving it around, and as you move stuff around, you're like, the gun goes here because it's shooting that thing. The doctor's going to be right behind it to pick it back up in case it goes down. And then the specialist is over here because he's going to go make way to that button. What are the two Zanchis doing? Nobody has a plan for them. <laughs> They're just there, right? You got to deal with them. Nope. So, so typically, <laughs> yeah. So typically, like you have you have like your gun your specialist that has, you know, good whip or some other toolkit and then some kind of utility piece. And then so as you naturally collect things in your list to put a link together, you start with those three things first and then you add two more, right? So we'll stop adding those two more and like buy a Liberto or something, right? Or, yeah. or like, I guess, you know, not everybody can get a Liberto, but you know, you know what I mean? Like get like some really good utility piece that can sit somewhere else on the board, like a, you know, Jaguar with chain rifle or something. That's, that's good universally, right? It does, they don't need to be in a link. You can just be sitting there and it'll, it'll do good work for you, even if it's just to sort of discourage people from being in that area. So I think that's why three three model links are good is because they capture pretty much in essence what you want from the link. And you'll notice I didn't mention the burst bonus here other than as a, a sort of a funny aside at the beginning. Like the burst bonus is good, but if you're picking something that already is a good gunfighter, right? Adding mm. plus one burst statistically makes it better, but it was fine by itself, right? You've got a burst four gun already, <laughs> making it burst five makes it better, but yeah. did you need to? Really yeah. what you're buying is the, I, I, I'm of the opinion that the most important link bonus is the two man link bonus, which is I get to move two things simultaneously. The gas. The rest, mm. and, the, and the second one is six cents at four, because that makes a big difference too. So so would you, would you take a bigger than two man link if you could move all at the same time? <laughs> I do occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been known to do that. <laughs> I mean, they you know, they shoot and stuff too, but what really is important here, yeah, is you get to move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and Vanderman yeah. makes a good point. There there is the idea of win more, right? So um, sometimes you do really want to have the odds in your favor, um, and uh, I think it's kind. Of, I haven't really thought too much about the the game theory aspect of this. Um, but I, I think, especially with like somebody who's a, as somebody who's a long history of playing a lot of limited insertion lists, um, limited insertion does not allow you to win more. Like I don't have the orders to buff my Rushi. I do not have the orders to throw smoke in front of my intruder. I'm just going to shoot you with the intruder and trust that it's camo surprise shot. And the fact that I'm outranging you is enough. I don't need to add another mm -hmm. I, I, I know you're being facetious, but like, this is, this is a good point, right? Like I, I think, um, uh, I, I think when playing vanilla, you need to look for things that operate on their own, right? Whereas you can, um, 
whereas you can you can sort of make something mediocre better by throwing it in a link, but it degrades really fast, right? So for a great example yeah. is like a Ketsutsu HMG, right? It becomes usable mm -hmm. in a link because it goes to BS13, right? Um, but the moment you lose that last BS, right, you the, the plus three BS, now you're starting to get a little sad. So uh, like there there is something to be said for that, and I you know I, I know you're being facetious, but I think I think there's a good point there. Hey man, don't knock that guy. So you've done uh, you've done some pretty serious work with just a combi. Sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it is one of those things. Like like you said, a lot of people are like doubling and tripling down on something that was already going to win the face to face role anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's some you know there's some specialized cases like with the Kamau sniper that's really cool. I'm I'm skeptical if a if a Kamau sniper team with the five man versus three man link is that much different in effect. Um, it's still a really damn good you know sniper that's that's hurting you. Like it, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily worth the extra cost. And could you spend those points um, on more models elsewhere in the army doing more jobs at the same time? Yeah, I think that partially depends upon how you build that Kamau Sniper tower, right? Because if you're just saying 40-point upgrade to my Kamau Sniper and he's just sitting there, or if you're saying, okay, Kamau Sniper is going along, um, that's not the whole point of him in this in this team. But I think you bring up, I think, John, you brought up a really good point about not needing to, you know, make a good gunfighter better, If especially in Pan Oceania. If you've got an Orc HMG, does he really... You know, he's already ballista skill 14. What you probably need is somebody up by the objective pushing the button. And if an intruder would, you know, kill the kill the guy on his own, then why add extra people to that whole process? Save your orders, shoot the guy once, and push the button with the rest of your orders. Yeah, there's... So, let's see here. Um... There is also the you know the thought that like if you are just if you're gonna spend those points on just cheerleaders, maybe you might as well you know buff up the the link, and if you drop them off during the game as you move up the table, then fine. Sure. Um, but I really think if you are if you are just taking you know, if you're gonna take those two like why are you taking two stock cheerleaders anyways? It's actually my next question, right? Like sure, you're Wait, not. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but that's right. not a stock piece of <laughs> right? Like you need to do that. You need that to to, to play the game, right? Mm. Um, I I, I right, do want to. This could be helots. You know, that could be that could be getting you a a trauma doc or a machinist, right? That could be getting you something that actually performs a job. You know, a lot of people like poo poo on doctors and engineers, but I mean, like, if you're just going to take two few slayers, they're going to stand there with their finger up their butt anyways. Like, you might as well take something that that might actually have a job function on the table, right? Well, this might have a different job pushed on the table, and that you might find that more valuable during the gameplay. So, they're cool. Five mans are neat. Three mans yeah. are where it's at. There's a little bit of a like rabbit hole conversation there, specifically about Pano link teams, um, uh -huh. which I think could become a bigger conversation. You know, about individual factions and sectorials and their link cool. teams. But excellent um, segue. <laughs> yeah, it's like a question of like, what are you reinforcing? Because in Pan Oceania, if you're reinforcing the thing you're already good at, you're just getting more good at that. Um, 
But, you know, if you're a Kaisotsu and you need that bonus, then maybe it's worth it. Win more, Eric. <laughs> Win more. So, right, so, uh, before we move on to this, I do want to touch upon the, the conversation that's been happening in chat for the, uh, for the benefit of our audio-only listeners. So, you know, I, may, I said earlier that um, I generally don't throw smoke in front of MSV troops uh, when I'm playing 10-order lists. Um, and I stand by that statement. Um, Ruben brings up the point that he generally does do that in vanilla because uh, going and going after um, something, you you basically want to win the face-to-face -face role and maximizing the chances of doing that. So, like, it's possible that you know I, I'll be in a situation where it may take me two orders to kill the um, uh, kill something with an intruder, right? Or worst case, I die. Um, and, and Ruben would, you know, take a similar situation, throw smoke in some of something else that's MSV and shoot and also do it in two orders. Um, so you can get some action economy by doing things like with the Dadarazi, right? By like throwing, throwing smoke with your impetuous order, right? So that's sort of free in that respect. Um, but, uh, I, I, I guess, I guess it really depends on the situation, right? You need to evaluate the numbers. So I think having the tools there is reasonable. Right, you can certainly build a list to have the, the tricks like Evo to buff your, you know, Luduan or something, um, or or smoke for your MSV guy. Uh, whether or not you use it uh, is, I, I don't think, an automatic thing, right? Mm -hmm. Especially at 10, 10 mm -hmm. orders. Um, and for me, my uh, my play faster rule for myself is just don't do it, right? Because I'm I'm constantly like my attitude is like I want to go through the game quickly. I don't want to overthink things. Uh, I'll just, I just won't do it. I won't throw the smoke. I'll just, I'll just shoot. Um, and uh, maybe that takes a little bit off my top end performance and I'm okay with that. Cause I feel like I get more games in, I maybe get two games in on one, on, on, a, on a, a game night at the store. If I do it that way and I get more experience that way. Um, but there's definitely cases where you look at the odds and you have to, at this point, run the numbers in your head and be like, okay, I really should throw smoke. In that case, it might be worth it. So, you know, I, I guess uh, that's an excellent point by Ruben and Frank in the chat saying like, well, you know, there are situations where you, you would want to, to set yourself up for better odds, either by positioning or, or buffing in some, ma in some manner. Uh, and it's totally reasonable to do that. Uh, I've just settled on uh, do things fast uh, as, as my default mode of play. So I just wanted to tie that up for the, for the audio. Fail fast. Folks. Fail fast. Yeah, exactly. And fail often? That... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you look at my battle reports, that's absolutely true. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So let's talk about a little bit about some of these armies, right? Because when you're evaluating uh, sectorals versus piano, um, kind of every army is really different here. There are different strengths and different weaknesses that I think. What I was trying to say. Um, yeah, it's different. <laughs> so let's let's kick it off with Pano because they're first an army builder and Eric is here and he plays Pano from time to time. Yeah. Um, well, it's so, um, so. What do you sorry. think about vanilla? Like, what do you what do you think about vanilla Pano? Because you you often do play vanilla. Yeah, I think vanilla is my preference for Pano right now. Um, I, I'm not sure that's because they're better or because vanilla is just my preference for infinity, but um, they're they're still the vanilla pano kind of has a reputation. I think um, I think they're getting a lot better. They've gotten a lot better with um, Varuna and Sparlahaima. Um, they've got a a big thing that makes a big difference for them is having 
um, that irregular 12-point WIP13 engineer if you want to run some um, some uh, tags. And I, I think my, my, my preference on how to play vanilla Pano is big things that make things go explode. So you can go, you can go cutter plus um, Swiss miss and throw in a couple war bandy things, little crack up renegade over here. Um, and that's something that's very unique from your standard kind of like power of pain uh, vanilla sectorial approach. So to me, as a outsider of Panoshana, I do have military orders. So I will say, aside from military orders, I think all four sectorals are the same army. <laughs> Prove <laughs> they're, me wrong. They're, they're different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're different. Like um, sprinkling on top of the same ice cream. <laughs> right. Like I think it's fair to say that Pano has a consistent theme mm -hmm. of face punch with the big guns. Yep. And you know, I think. Um, Again, I think military orders aside, it's really going to be like, what extra flavor do you want on top of that, right? Like, what spice do you want to add to it? Mm. So with the Contestamento, you're basically the way, the reason why I feel like they're all like this, because all of them have like some solid high burst MSV mimetism thing that's going to shoot you. Yep. And then they're supported with like a couple... Uh, maybe you know, probably camo-y guys with four deployment infiltration, um, and then some remotes. I mean, right? depending so depending like, on which which yeah, tutorial, ish, right? Ish. Yeah, ish, ish is... like, so, yeah. So like Akon, you're gonna get your you know you're gonna get your camo covered from the uh, from the, uh, the the Nagas. Yep. Right. They're gonna have they've got a good Bogmari HMG, which is that MSV one mimetism HMG I was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a couple big hitters. You know, you can get your Montes in there for this is your spice, right? Like. Oh, I'd like some fast heavy infantry. Well, here, well, yeah, what flavor heavy infantry do you want? And that's the uh, the Knight of Montessa here. Um, and then, you know, Varuna, right? You've got your Link with your Kamau. Your Kamau could have a high burst gun. You know, it, it's... Um, tell me why I'm wrong, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing I've observed with myself is that um, Panoceania exists in its own universe. If you're if you're playing a bunch of other factions and sectorials, then Panoceania is all very samey. But when you're like when I'm like in a very Panoceania frame of mind, those little nuances um, are are interesting. You know, it's a question of where where is my TO? Where is my um, you know what is the link team built out of? Um, the fact that there's a Naga is feels very distinct when you're in the Pano universe, even though if you're playing you know, if you're playing a bunch of different factions, it's like, well, yeah, that's just a camo infiltrator. But in Pan-Oceania, it's like, well, you know, it can go all the way up the board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what? I think that's a that's a great take, right? Because I I do play everything, and mm -hmm. it ends up like I look at this and I'm like, they're all they're all the same. Like, what flavor yeah. <laughs> of heavy infantry do you want? Some of them might have swords. Some of them might be good at using the swords. Not all of them are, right? Um, but I, I I think you know. You play Pan Oceania if, because you love Pan Oceania. I think is definitely one of the <laughs> sure one of the you know the facets of it. Like there's that that nuance of it is not necessarily making it better than anything else. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I I think a lot of it you know taking a sort of uh, high level approach. A lot of it is like, well, what kind of cool big gun do I want, right? 
And so for Shock, you can take the Dragao. For Solarheima, you can take the um, the Furbach guy, right? The Carhu, right? Um, uh, and and you know the near the NCA has the Swiss, of course. Uh, so I, I think I think that's part of it. You're like, okay, what 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 do I want to like? What speaks to me thematically? And then does the rest of the, the sectoral support the playstyle that I want? Um, and I would say a big question too is the relationship to hidden information because since you don't have mm -hmm. a lot of you know you don't have smoke tricks, your the the TO question becomes very significant. You know, um, TO and AD. Yeah, exactly. AD, TO and AD. Those are big questions. If you're going to play Svarlahaima, you're basically saying, "No, I can punch my way out of any problem." Right. <laughs> I mean, they have a really yeah, meaty fist. Statement. I've made that statement before, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> it does not. No. Well, so, an interesting way to, to way look at it, and I think Pano, uh, you're there first, but they also might be kind of an extreme example of this. I feel like. Your decision to play vanilla versus a sectoral should be an informed decision, right? If you are playing an army where you're you're basically picking all the stuff that is out of the same sectoral anyways, or um, has a very close analog, and then you could have had everything in the same sectoral, you might want to consider going for sectoral, right? If you're not really taking advantage of the wider availability that you have access to in a vanilla army, then then maybe vanilla isn't what you should be doing. And instead you should be leveraging the the increased availability and the fire team bonuses of a sectoral. Well one thing that's kind of unique about Pano that I think is um you generally don't have a lot of access to all rounders. Right? So if you take a look at mm -hmm. like Nomads, which is my home faction, there's plenty of stuff that has a, a reasonable gun and also is a specialist, right? So um Kusanagi is a great example. BS14, ODD, Spitfire, that's also a specialist operative. You make no compromises. She does all of the things. Yeah. Right? And you can solo the whole army with her, push all the buttons with her, and you win the game. You can't really do that with most things in Pano. And I, 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 cho yeah. I chose Kusanagi as a standout example, but Nomads is like full of things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But they're not so with Pano. So, you know, a lot of a lot of times I, I see people argue against Pano Vanilla. In fact, I see Pano, out of all the Vanillas, I think Pano is probably the most rare to see at a tournament. Yeah, um, And I think that's because most of their play style is everything starts in my deployment zone. Everything is BS-14, right, or higher effective thanks to being in a link. And I'll just shoot my way out of it, any problem that I might find. Um, and they're very good at doing that. But the problem is the guns generally don't come with specialists. So you need to assemble a Kusanagi effectively like a, out of a, a Voltron. Link. Yeah, you need a Voltron <laughs> yes, together, yes, a Kusanagi so equivalent. Yeah. So so in yeah. that case, like putting together a Fusilier link out of any of these sectorials makes sense because you throw the paramedic in there and then like you know, you you know, wild card in or like special fire team in some like bigger gun. Murder everything you see with that, and then your your specialist has now been carried forward to the midfield where all the objectives are. Uh, so I think based on you know Pano's playstyle, which is uh, a product of its um, unit availability and unit design, right, sort of encourages yes, yeah. you to play sectorials because that's the way you win, right? You need to mm -hmm. get your specialist mm -hmm. to the button to push it. That's how you win the damn game. And yeah. I, I disagree with some of this, though. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think this is. I think this is. I think this all makes sense and is a logical argument. But um, Crocman and yep. Zulu Cobras and Carhu can move really quickly, yep. and I think that um, I th you're still doing the thing that, for me at least, leads to terrible defeat, where you push the whole blob <laughs> up the 
the table and then the whole blob dies. Whereas I'm if I'm like, I killed everybody. There's nobody to stop my crockman. Now my crockman's pushing the button. It still effectively leads to the same outcome. Right. But I think it it makes more sense to more people to just throw the link forward. Like I think using a crockman, mm. crockman are really dangerous, right? I inter they're scary. Yeah. So they're they the X visor. Underestimated for sure. Like whether BS twelve, right? Uh, Mimitism minus BS12, six. X visor. Yeah. Rifle. Super gross. Uh, uh, they have mines um, and deployable repeaters too, right? On the Ford Observer profile. Yeah. So like they're super dangerous. They do all the things, um, and an experienced player can really leverage that. But I think the the thing is that um, people just getting into the game, trying to figure out how to play Pano, are like, okay, I need to move forward. Like, there's like, where's my momentum going in the turn, right? Just pushing stuff forward makes sense. This Death Star of a link, which is like, you know, BS a million, uh, like I it, I can't get stopped in the after turn. You end up in the midfield, uh, and then maybe your opponent can't fight through your ARO, and then you're like, I win. This makes sense to me. That's a really mm -hmm. good point. Yeah, um, I think we've discussed this a bit. I think Pano doesn't its learning curve stops at a certain point it's yeah. super graceful and then it just like totally goes down it plateaus. Yeah. It plateaus, yeah, exactly yeah. exactly so and like that, and that's somewhere in the far end and this is somewhere that i won't claim that i have a, a, you know achieved but um somewhere in the far end you start to get other concepts of like hmm, i'm not going to just like rush forward my whole turn shouldn't be shooting everybody um I start to think of it as like you've got your backfield with your cutters and your, you know, your your giant guns that will keep people down, and then you've got your kind of like skirmishy guys, and there's only a couple of them, but you only need a couple of them, and those are the guys mm -hmm. who are kind of like being sneaky and running around, and they're they don't have smoke, but they do have a cutter with a heavy machine gun, making right. sure nobody's walking in their way. Yeah, right. That's, that's actually true. you talk about the learning curve is is pretty accurate, I think, here for Pano because like you said, it's you, there there's a step up. And it goes kind of smoothly, and then it plateaus, and it plateaus for a long time. Yeah, and it plateaus but, pretty comfortably too. Like yeah. you can coast there if you want to. <laughs> yeah, but then I think there is this extra level of learning you can do at the end there, where you start to be like, well, how do I how do I solve problems with something other than guns? I it think just takes a long time to get. It's a lot easier now, you know, Zulu Cobras and yep. um, are who like things are things are easier now. <laughs> yeah, you have a, you have access. I, I think. Pano, with the addition of the newer sectorials, has sort of rounded out, right? The addition of the Zulu Cobras mm -hmm. made a big difference because uh, now you have yeah. a cheaper, cheaper specialist that has a camo and state. And knock, in. knock I won't in. lie, it's yep. still very challenging in certain matchups, certain yep. scenarios. Now, you still find yourself in some unsolvable positions, but it's definitely, I mean, it's a fun time. <laughs> I think probably the thing that will help you get over the plateau the quickest is knowing when to stop pushing. Right, like figure out yeah. when you're overextended and back off, especially if you're playing a sectoral and you're jamming a link into the midfield, like knowing when to back Absolutely. off. Uh, also like mastering, moving stuff around in the midfield and then protecting it for the next turn is a big deal. That could be as yeah. simple as recamoing it, or it could be as simple as like retreating into a corner and shifting that cutter in the backfield to cover the approach to it, right? That's just two orders, right? Move and then shift, that's it. That's all you need yeah. to spend. So- An important early lesson I, um... I got to with that, especially with a tag of any kind, but with Pano is take two orders and slide them away from the rest of your order pool. That is for retreating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's smart. Um, 
I think the last thing I want to touch on with uh, with Pan Oceania specifically is that I think that a lot of people also go into sectorals because military orders is very polarizing. Oh. And granted, they're coming out, but, you know, they've come out with a whole ton of new models for that army and they all look gorgeous. So maybe it'll be less polarizing going forward. Oh, you, you mean, you mean the people, Space Knights effect? Yeah, a lot of people really didn't want their Ultramarines um, fighting alongside their Pan Ocean army. So I was one of those people for a very long time, yeah. <laughs> right? So a lot of people are just like, nope, I don't want knights. And if I yeah. if I don't if I'm already cutting out, you know, at that point in time, like a third of the army, then why am I playing vanilla? I should just play a sectoral and get my link bonuses. And oh sure. I think that's that's valid with most armies where if you like I refuse to play models from this sectoral, then guess what? Like you're artificially already restricting yourself. Yeah. yeah. You might yeah. as well get some sort of you might as well get some sort of bonus for your artificial You kinda need all of those in vanilla. It's true. Yeah. They add some cool toys. They do. So yeah, maybe that'll be less of an issue going forward, but I really felt like that was a big thing driving people towards sectorals um up until the last few months. So yeah, let's uh let's move on to Yu Jing, shall we? So I'm going to make the claim that the Yujing sectorials are probably the most like diverse, I guess, right? Like the 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 the, the least samey, I guess, as compared to vanilla Whoa. out of all the factions. Bold. I think um combined is probably I'll fight you on that when we get to combined. This is a close <laughs> second in my mind, I think. Uh I mean, like combined there's a thematic element to the combined stuff, which I think really changes that, right? You know you know what I mean? Because like if you're playing more actually like all oh, of my monkeys all right great and like all of the like weird bug alien things that's but in terms of in terms of like list composition and play I, I feel like Yujing has the most mechanically different I would say but you know I'll you're welcome you you're welcome to disagree with me um, <laughs> you know like I guess Imperial Service is is you know it's defined by its Quangxi links um, you don't you right. don't don't have to play that way right. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a mandatory thing. Pretty sure you do. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, you've played lists where I had zero Quangxi, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had nothing but duos and triple TR bot. Um, that's 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 I think the secret hidden power of Yujing is triple TR bot. <laughs> yeah. Right. They are um, the TR bot faction. Yeah. Right. It's just like they're all about oppressing the populace. We'll do it with HMGs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Imperial Service is all about that. Uh, Invincible Army is, uh, you know, un, I think undeniably uh, the 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 kings of of getting crazy order efficiency with their ridiculous amounts of tack aware and NCO mm -hmm. and like Lieutenant Level Two stuff. So you just get all these like things like that. And then White Banner plays a lot like Shaz in the spec that you can do a lot of camo spam in the midfield. Um, so I I think they're in in my mind the the most um, Develop sectorals, I guess, in terms of different different play styles, I guess. Interesting, um, because two of those two of those came in the last just couple of years. Yeah. Right, because it wasn't Imperial Service and JSA. JSA went away. Right. They got Invincible Army and White Banner to make yeah. up for it, and I think that they've done a lot to expand the army into Invincible Army and White Banner yeah. to really give them some interesting, distinct sectorals. But when it comes to playing vanilla versus sectoral. Um, like you were saying, as a vanilla army, you can make a like nomads. You can you have a really big toolbox here to pick some really disgusting units. You know, you've got the the Hawk Tao, which is the basically the Swiss card. 
right? So right away, you have to honor that. Otherwise, I think Hawktower only available in Invincibles. Yeah. And Invincibles, you know, everything is so many points that it's harder to fit in. Mm-hmm. So in Vanilla Jing, that's a that's a very serious big threat that your opponent has to offer. Um, what are you really missing out on if you play a Sectoral, right? So in, in Imperial Service doesn't have a tag, but yep. they've got Battle Cat. They've got the Battle Cat, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say tag-like, it's tough. You know, it has three effective wounds. Uh, it's fast, it hits hard, it has a lot of bullets. Yeah. Um, in Invincible Army, you're you're giving up basically a lot of your camo presence. They can still take, you know, they can still still take the Zensha, right? They can still take some camo, but it's expensive. Yep. Um, but what do you like if you go white banner, what are you really missing out on? Oh, and also uh Invincible Army doesn't really have war bands, right? Sure. Do they have any smoke? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any so, smoke in, in Invincible. Yeah, and then all three of those sectorals, like like you were saying, play extremely differently. Yeah. Between them. So I don't know. I, I think there's a there's a good case to to be made for playing any of them. I think invisible yeah. armies are actually a really desirable army mm. for beginners because you get to play with all yeah. the cool space power armor dudes. Yep. Right. And they they make up for that. They're like, well, you're new <laughs> because you want all the heavy infantry. Here's some tin bots so you don't get totally destroyed. And here's some extra orders so you don't get totally destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think that. I think that Vanilla Yujing is the scarier one for me to go against. And it is because when I go against Imperial Service, I know what I'm dealing with. I go against Invincible Army, I know what it is. White Banner, I know what it is. But Yujing, Vanilla Yujing. The possibilities are endless. Yeah, and, and <laughs> it's, like... it's super min-maxi too, right? So I've, I like all the all the degenerate strategies you can do in any of these factions, right? So White Banner, you can camo spam the daylights out of your opponent. Invincible Army, you can outorder them. Right, uh, with like big beefcake units that can take a bunch of hits and keep going. Imperial service, you could just like spam Quangxi and have a million orders to power some like horrendously giant thing. Well, and in Yujing, you can do all of that in the same list. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I I think uh, like I I think the way you play vanilla Yujing will be influenced heavily by which sectoral you started with. Right, mm-hmm. um, because you're sort of comfortable with those tools, you have the models already, and then you add in stuff from other sectorials that you like. So yeah, I mean, there's not. I guess there's not a whole lot to discuss here in the sense of like it's not like it's it's a pretty clear cut case as to why you'd want to want to play mm. vanilla. I think right. So the sectorials sure. are, are well yeah. like, are are contained by themselves, right? They, they're they excellent. They do a lot of really cool things. They're extremely characterful. They all feel very different. Uh, and then if you want to, you know, I guess, graduate to Vanilla Jing, um, you end up getting to keep all of your toys and then opening the book to some like really fantastic things, right? So Imperial Service has a little bit of trouble getting out of its deployment zone sometimes, right? It has access to some tools for that. Um, but now you can just like point and delete things with the Lu Jing that you couldn't do before. Right, and so that solves mm-hmm. a lot of problems mm-hmm. for them. And so, so really, what what uh, Vanilla Yujing does for a sectoral player is like, I can do the thing that I was already do, good at and comfortable doing, and now I add all this additional capability to shore up the weaknesses that I had. Right. So you hear a lot of Imperial Service uh, players um, 
you know, saying like, oh, I have a hard time dealing with high armor things. It's very difficult for me to, you know, have access to AP in a reasonable way. Uh, and then you're like, all right, well, guess who has a lot of that, right? Take Shang-Chi and you're good to yeah. go, right? So um, I think, I think uh, you, you, you definitely plug a lot of those, those weaknesses just by moving to vanilla there. And you don't really lose anything in terms of order efficiency. Uh, Yujing has a ton of stuff that's just like monstrous in its own right, like Hacktow Hacker. It's like, all right, well, it does all the stuff. Uh, it will happily solo the entire army. I've had that happen to me, right? On the receiving end, it's just like, well, I can't do anything about this guy and all my stuff's dead, and it's pushed all the buttons. Cool, right? Right. And you have the orders to power that. And I, I think, you know, from from an outsider perspective, if you if you approach Panoceana as feeling like they, they feel kind of samey with different spice, yeah. but... It, where Panoceana, a lot of the differences are going to come from the player side as opposed to the opponent side, right? Because they're going to be the differences in tools that they prefer to solve the problems, as opposed to what the what the opponent necessarily observes that they're you know, that the Panoceana player is doing. I think um, playing Yujing to, to go to the well differentiated point is that there are four different Yujing armies, right? They are they are four distinct armies. They do four different things. They play totally different ways. Your strategy against one will not carry you over to the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think if... Oh, good. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think they're paradoxically a strong argument for playing any of the sectorials and for playing vanilla. Like, the, the, the faction can kind of do it all. Yeah. And so I think if, uh, if Yu Jing is four different armies... And I'll say Ariadna is seven different or six different armies, possibly seven different armies. <laughs> All right, so lay it on us. Right, so okay, so vanilla, vanilla exists. I'll, I'll say vanilla for last because the vanilla here is really like rocky freaking road. Um, you've got your you've got your Caledonia, which is ostensibly the warband, the the warband army for Ariadna. They're famous for the Galwegians. They had tons of access to smoke. They get like linked smoke wild card, like wherever you want it, just throw smoke, have it. Um, they are brutal close range. I mean, they're you know they're, they're four brutal observer specialists too now, right? They're, oh yeah, and they're brutal. At, but they're like their forward observer specialist is like I don't know, I got a chain rifle. Like what? Who has infiltrated? Like who has camo chain rifles? Like Ariadna do, <laughs> yeah, and specifically Caledonia, um, right? So they're definitely the up close and in your face. And then yeah, T2 uh, boarding shotguns, like just in case you had, you know, you thought you were going to survive that shot or get repaired, or get fixed by a doctor, like, nope. Um, and then then there's also, yeah, of course, they're, they're wide access to APHMGs. So like just, yeah. in, just in case you thought that, you know, that you'd be safe dealing with all those chain rifles at range, they're going to link up some BS-13 HMG, APHMG to take you down with. Yeah, they're, there's, there's they're no just, tricks, just swords and guns. That's it. <laughs> yeah it is it is the like here's my mans they're coming at you yep. yeah <laughs> some of them might be camoed because they like cover themselves in mud or something but they're just gonna hit you like a truck get ready yeah <laughs> and then uh, uh merovingia is bad everybody who plays it is a bad person okay nobody likes them fair enough john what do you think about merovingia like, you... is the is the uh i mean it says it in the name you know rapid response um they have yeah. i think the most uh special deployment options of any any of the sectorials, right? Like everything can start in the midfield, basically, okay. including their line trooper. Um, yeah, they have like they can have sapper HMGs that start eight inches, eight inches up, 
bonkers. Yeah, they're like the sapper army. I don't think anyone gets as much sapper as them. Yeah, they have they have a ton of sapper. Uh, basically, two 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 profiles with it. Well, three, I guess. HMG, yeah. Suave, uh, Sniper, and then the Moblo. Um, and then you can like start heavy infantry in the midfield, like BS thirteen, uh, heavy infantry with like cool guns and infiltration, right? Like AP rifles and EM, e maulers and stuff. They also have a bunch of access to EM weapons. They have a ton of EM mines all over the, all over the army. Um, they've got access to like weird things like marksman rifles. Um, they basically they just, are the weird one. they're the weird they're one. The weird one. Yeah. They, they, they play, they play the sort of the lateral game, I guess. Right. Like everything else in here yeah. is really honest. Caledonia is not going to trick you. It's just like, you see the guys with swords. They're running at you. <laughs> if you see a smoke, like they're in the smoke. They're just running through the smoke. They'll get there eventually. Don't worry. Right? Merovingia is like, I can attack you from literally any angle. Right now that Margot and Durak have uh, pair, um, oh. uh, uh, paratroop, uh, uh, parachutist, right? Deployment zone. Yeah, uh, deployment zone, parachutist. They, yeah, they can show up literally on the back table edge, right? Um, so nowhere is safe from them is basically the the uh yeah. the feeling right like er like everything is a threat um and it can be anywhere as is the sort of their stick and they just have like a lot of access to like higher tech stuff which is kind of surprising yeah okay so then we have us ariadna which is like caledonia except they traded their swords for armor yep like <laughs> like they're fast they're direct templates and they're obnoxiously hard to kill like yep. when you get on a streak with like a grunt sniper and your opponents put like four orders into killing mm -hmm. your an <laughs> annoying cheap ass sniper yep it's amazing um they're not very subtle they they have less they're probably of the i guess outside of cosmoplot of the other armies they're like the least infiltrator focused like you have two options this is going to be a fox rider it's going to be a hard case and there it <laughs> is your opponent knows what it is but in infiltrating camo infiltrators sure sure but i mean yeah, like infiltrating, infiltrating grunts infiltrating is like grunts a huge freaking deal <laughs> <laughs> like, like total availability you you can't just gloss that over right <laughs> that like being Fair. able being able to throw a heavy flamethrower in the midfield is just so rude wherever i want just, yeah it's just it's just here, here right uh and i think i think that's the the biggest thing that you you think that you love about them the most which is fire right because yeah. their approach to it looks like you know they're 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 the 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 sci-fi trope. You know, kill it with fire, right? It's just like, all right, I don't know how to solve this yeah. problem. You've got multiple wounds. I'm gonna light you on fire. Oh, you're not dead yet. I'll keep lighting you on fire. Okay, now you're dead. Great. Yeah. No. Exactly. Like that's that's my solution to dealing with like with heavy armor things. Like, well, I'll shoot you with a direct hit on the heavy rocket launcher that lights you on fire. Yeah. Like you Eventually, know they have really high down. armor. When like I did the math once, I was like, do I shoot you with an HMG? Or do I shoot you with a K1 marksman? And it's like the same numbers. <laughs> and I was like, all right, right. great, awesome. Um, so yeah, so they're they're tough and annoying, yeah. and they can they they move up to a spot and they don't give ground. Yeah, they um, really don't. And so TAC reminds me a lot of like uh, 80s area, so like Soviet representation mm -hmm. in movies, where it's like they do everything you do only better, right? right. Like it has the they have the best like some of the best infiltrators in the faction are in there. They've got like the best dog warriors. They've it's just every you know the veteran Kazakh is uh, debatably, but was for a long time just the best heavy infantry in Ariadna. Yeah, like they're just the best. All they, the cool they, toys, you know, they, they, all the cool scary yeah. things under camo tokens, right? 
I guess I yeah, guess Caledonia has a lot scary. of scary stuff. Yeah, every, everything in there is gross, uh, and it, it, they yeah, they have the most access to T two. Um, you you when 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 somebody reveals what is under a camo marker intact, you're never relieved. Yeah, you're never <laughs> like, true. oh, yeah. it was only a, it was like, oh crap, like <laughs> it's like a brown pants moment anytime somebody picks a camo token off the table and replaces it with yeah. a model. I mean, he, he, even if they're not replacing it with a model. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're like, shit. I spent all this work revealing what this camel marker is. And it was now I don't know where the specimen is. Yeah. Um and then Cosmoflaw is the they're they're really weird right now. I'm I'm not certain how I feel about them. Um other than you should be playing vanilla. Uh they I think they give up all infiltrators. They have SAS. If any, no, yeah, uh, they, they have SAS. They give up uh, and Rokots, right? They have they SAS give up and a lot. And Uxia. That's, that's, that's... Uxia. Yeah, they got Uxia. Yeah, that's a pretty all-star that's list right deal. there. Yeah. But I mean, they, they, you know, they don't have any, like, uh, what you consider traditional infiltrators, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, SAS, to deal damage, they're getting up close, and that's a risky spot for, uh, for camo mark- your own camo markers to be... I don't know. I I have a hard time. This is the this is the only sectoral that I have a hard time being like. I want to play this sectoral because I really do enjoy playing all of the sectorals. Bears. What? There's bears. Yeah, but bears are available in Manila. Is I think Adam's point. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's basically, yeah, that's fair. I mean, linkable <laughs> unknown rangers available in US Arietta too, right? So he is, and again. Unlinked Unknown Ranger is also very good and available in the vanilla. One of the cool things I suppose you do get out of um, out of any of the uh, any of the sectorals in Ariadna is that you can fill out their links absurdly cheap. Sure, I mean you can do that in Caledonia. I mean, like it's it's true for all of these, right? Grunts are cheap, Metros are cheap, Volunteers are cheap, uh, Line Kazakhs. Rokots are all cheap, a right? Lot of, a lot of things under ten points. Yeah. When I say cheap, I mean that's that's um, true for Ariadne in general, sick. though. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. So that is. I I think you play Cosmoflot if you want to play Links and you are already an Ariadna player. You're just like I feel like playing Links today. Yeah. I, 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 I feel just, like Cosmoflot is a great segue into vanilla. Yeah. I was going to say, as somebody who doesn't play Ariadna, Cosmoflot appeals to me as like, well, maybe if I wanted to play Ariadna, vanilla Ariadna, but I don't want to collect vanilla Ariadna. Right. It gets yeah. you It gets you a lot of the feel. So the reason why I say there, that this is like six, possibly seven different armies is because the way vanilla Ariadna plays is 100% not the way not vanilla Ariadna plays. Right? Like the... You can play um, Vanilla Ariadna, to, to not get rid of the double negative, uh, Vanilla Ariadna plays unlike any of its sectorals at all. You can maybe get the closest to attack with camo spam, but with Ariadna, you not only get ridiculously good camo spam, you also are threatening from the beginning your, the back edge of your enemy's deployment zone. Because they have access to decoys and parachutists, you you really never know how many things your opponent has deployed. They can yeah. put down 17 things that could be models, and only 13 of them are models, and they've got Margot and Durak coming on the backfield. Like, you have no idea 
what it is. Yeah, it's so, like it's the blank courtesy list nightmare, right? It really is. Like I, when it comes to like receiving a blank courtesy list, I would rather receive a blank courtesy list from Shaz. Because then you know what's coming. Yeah, I I know it's coming, and I know it's not Van Zant, or <laughs> and I know it's not um, it's Mar- not Mar- uh, Mirage Five. Yeah, yeah. Right, you yeah. can give me you can 100%. hand me a blank courtesy list. I could count your drops. There are fifteen things there. There's sixteen things there. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. No, I know you're not holding anything back. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there could still be Van Zant easily, and yep. Van Zant is horrible to have in your backfield. So I, I think Ariadna basically has an answer for everything, pretty much, uh, especially now that uh, MSV one can see through smoke. Um, and... Right. And the reason why I say the seventh army is because I don't think that vanilla Ariadna is like I really felt like through N three they were relegated to camo spam. Um, maybe some odd hipster lists outside of that that John would play. But all right, there. Thank like, you. <laughs> yeah, like. If you came across it, if you went into a tournament and somebody's like, "Oh, vanilla Ariadna," you're like, "Okay, camo spam." I know what I'm yep, going against. Yep, yep, yep. I'll take my I'll take my list with a bunch of sensor. But I think they've done a good enough job um, with some of their more interesting units. They've made Mormers more playable in vanilla, Ratniks more playable in vanilla. Um, they've they've added a lot of tools that are not specifically camo. Yeah, that you could actually see a hybrid. Camo army. Yeah, it's like stuff, it's basically just... stuff that's worth taking. You're like, yeah, I would take this in vanilla for sure. Um, yeah, it's definitely made vanilla Ariadna more fun to play, right? Because you're not just like, all right, it's camo spam time. I got to find all my camo tokens now. Cool. <laughs> like that. I think right. that's that's the problem. That's the problem that every vanilla Ariadna player player faces is like, oh crap, I ran out of camo tokens. Do you have any? Can I borrow some of yours? <laughs> so, do you know Do you know some place that sells camo markers numbered up to twenty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, there's that. Um, but they, I think they definitely uh, can can do. Like I've put down stuff that is mostly not camo before and felt pretty okay about it. Yeah, and you can do that now. Yep. So that's kind of why I feel like that's where the seventh army is. You've got the camo spam Ariadna army, which you actually have a ton of options. <laughs> yeah. Like no two camo spam Ariadna armies need be the same. Yeah. Um, and then you have the the person felt saucy and took something other than camo. I mean, I guess. Do you feel a need to play Ariadna? So vanilla Ariadna, like let's say you only play. Caledonia, do you feel like people are missing out if they're not playing Ariadna? Yes. So I've I've played US Ariadna um since I started playing the game. And it does not feel like playing vanilla. It does not feel like playing Ariadna. Right? Like uh, I my army is an army that is resilient, um, with board control with low camo and uh, like oddly high speed between the uh, Desperados, the Devil Dog, and the um, mm-hmm. the uh, the Maverick, and like I've explored lots of different ways to play within the Vanilla Ariadna umbrella or within the uh, US Ariadna umbrella, and none of it really gets to the point of some of the like trolley shit you can do in Vanilla. Yeah, that I really like. Yeah, I think I think vanilla really changes things because vanilla has access to all of the basically like every single one of these armies you see on the screen, right, has access to uh, special deployment tricks, and vanilla has access to all of it. 
so it, it does yeah. a lot of weird things, right? Like I, I remember going to, um, to, uh, what was the best of the Pacific Northwest? And my, my opponent, I think it was Burl. And he said to me, he was like, yeah. Hey, uh, he won the roll off. And he was like, your deploy, like that deployment zone sucks. I'm giving it to you. And it, it was, he was right. It was awful. And I was like, okay. And like nothing started in the deployment zone. He's like, Oh, huh? Well, Problem I guess, solved. I guess if you don't use it, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, so I agree it sucks. Let's not use it. Yeah. So I, I think I think that like, I've always felt super in control of positioning when I play vanilla Ariadna. Like I never feel like I'm giving anything up in terms of positioning, uh, which means I dictate tempo because everything is where I need it to be, right? When I I have deployment, right? Like I don't have to like develop tempo by moving stuff around. It just it just starts that way. Uh, you're at a tempo disadvantage because I have a bubble shield of the camo state before you can do anything to yeah. me. Um, camo, I think, is the strongest skill in the game because it breaks all of the rules. Like, sure. Infinity is a game in of shooting. You cannot do that. You can't shoot me. Sorry. You have to do this other thing first. And if you fail, I'm invincible. Right? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a turn zero advantage army. Yeah. Absolutely. And then it, and, and it trades up really you well. Yeah, and you, it's, that's a, that's an advantage you don't really get in the sectorals. Um, of the sectorals, I think TAC is probably the most competitive because you do get some really brutal links in there. A yeah. linked mimetism, nearly two wound HMG, is nothing to uh, be upset about mm -hmm. with you know with the the veteran Kazakh. Um, they do have increased availability on some truly terrifying things. Uh, availability to antipode assault packs uh, quickly comes to mind. Like that's that's rough. It's only 27 points for an antipode assault pack, and you can get two of them, and suddenly you've got six, you know, uh, six of these camouflaged antipodes running up the table, and can really make someone's life uh, less happy. Yeah. So with with sensor too, right? So yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, they have, they have, they have, they ask all the questions of you and have all the answers, effectively. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, so, I've, I've played Cosmoflot, Clint. I thought it was fine. Um, I mean, I, I don't have enough real game on table experience to really make a, 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 a qualified comment. Uh, I can say right now that I, I don't, uh, like, reading the army list for everything else on the screen makes sense. Reading the Cosmoflot one is a little confusing. Um, I, I don't doubt that they're strong, but they don't have a clear place in my head yet if that makes any sense yeah i yeah again i just go down to if i'm playing cosmo i'd almost always rather play vanilla yeah but i mean none of us here like links so <laughs> there's that that's a fair yeah so so yeah we, we are biased we try to provide as close to an unbiased perspective as we can um but yeah i'm gonna talk about hawk yeah let's talk about hawk so Hawk is an army that I have little experience with, but Eric has quite a bit. Hey, Hawk Islam. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Hawk Islam is funny because it's the army that we told you to start with, and you're like, I'm going to do Pan O. And <laughs> yeah, got to learn my lessons the hard way. <laughs> I mean, Pan O is great, and you're doing well with them. I think you enjoy them, but I, I Pan O was a great place to get ready to play Hawk Islam. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so lay, lay it on us. You like Vanilla Hawk. Mm. I love Vanilla Hawk. Yeah, that's my current um, favorite place to be. Um, it's an interesting, you know, to try to break the faction as a whole 
down. Um, it to me, it feels like you have assassins and vanilla hawk islam and then kapukaki and rama kind of in two different camps you know sure if, mm -hmm. if each if each um sectorial for Eugene is doing something um you know unique these guys are kind of like you've got the um sneaky stabby um and then you've kind of got some something that's you know has maybe a little bit of something special but it's kind of just link teams and um Standard infinity play, I, I guess I would um, characterize it as for Kabukaki and Rama Task Force. Yeah, um, but I really, really, really love the Assassins and um, Vanilla Hawk Islam approach. And you know, the obvious thing, the obvious unit that you can't, you know, it is not include is a Fidei. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it like, is not include. Like QK and Rama are basically just like we have quality links and quality shooters. Um, you know, we have reasonable specialists yeah. uh, and they just, they just play an honest game of infinity, right? We're just going to do it this exactly. way. Exactly. Um, but then assassins and Hawk are defined by the, uh, yeah. the availability of Fide, Dailami, all of the really low cost camo stuff or impersonators that are uh, really annoying to get rid of. Um, so you can play and like, obviously cause Hawk has access to everything that's in QK and Rama. You can play. Um, you can play those styles exactly. as well. Um, QK does have Yan Yan. Yan Yan are really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. They. I mean. I don't know if I'd say they define QK. I've played QK without them, and it's worked. Um, but they're they're definitely something you have to honor. They're a little less strong now, um, mm -hmm. given given that you don't get the regular order if you drop them in, uh, with their impetuous. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like they're they're there and they they definitely are like the cheapest AD in the game, right? At eighty points. So, mm -hmm. um, well, so what's interesting is I think that that all three sectorals actually bring something really important related to what we were talking about the strengths of sectorals. So, you've got you've got Vanilla Hawk, um, which has everything, right? So this has the sneaky tools, it has the super soldier super soldier tools. Um, I think that Hassassin Brahm is actually, in this case, very close to Vanilla Hawk. To me, it just feels like a more focused Vanilla mm -hmm. Hawk. Yeah. With link teams, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. More Fidays. Exactly. You can have more Fidays. Yeah. More Fidays. And, and I think that you can... Link to Asawira. But I think you can play Hassassin Brahm without even really focusing on links. Like, you might take a, a cheap Ghulam link to hide your lieutenant in. Whatever, right? Like, an order battery sitting yeah. in the back. Maybe You can have a bunch of Farzans. That's a good argument yeah. for them, yeah. You've you won, take you've won games in the back of your Farzans. Yeah. Yes. Many times, many times. Right, the, the Sujay, the, the, all the new... Yeah. Uh, new ones, yeah. They have. yeah. Um, so to me, it's it's like the concept of, of Hawk Islam. When people hear, when you say Hawk, people think you're playing Assassins. Exactly, um, exactly. Or, has, or vanilla like Assassins. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you play QK, QK is, is the exact thing we were talking about where there are unique units available to QK that aren't really available in vanilla. Right. And that's yes. Scarface. Like, yeah, Scarface, the Yan Yan. Um I guess vanilla does get Drews and Kaplan, but you're not really gonna see Drews and Kaplan show up very often. Yeah, I've had a hard time know. making a case for them myself, but I know John has <clears throat> John opinions. <laughs> I mean that Drews I mean, killer hacker is a super awesome specialist by herself. Right, she's got pictures to extend the range of your other hacker. She's got a marker state, 
right? Uh, and a, mm. a suite of totally cool guns, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, just because you can hipster justify it, I've never seen yeah. one person ever, including John. I've totally use, used. I've totally used killer I, hackers. I have in, seen John use the Drew no, Factor. Yeah, in, in a vanilla hawk list. Yeah, mm, I don't I think, think I've ever so. seen you run a single so. a, a solo Drews in vanilla hawk. I mean, we can go. We can go to the tapes, right? I, yeah, right. I, I've seen. I, I feel like I've seen it in NA too, but yeah, that's well, there, there's an interesting like uh, larger conversation here. We talked a little bit about that moment when you start playing multiple factions, and I think QK and Rama suffer from something a lot of factions suffer from, which is just playing a good, honest game of Infinity. And once you start playing a ton of factions, you know, it's like, well, I can play a good, honest game of Infinity with all these factions I have. Right. But that's not to say that they're not good factions. They're not like fun. They're just not doing something very distinct from everything else. Yeah. I, I feel sure, that sure. <laughs> very strongly. Um, but then I was going to say the last one is with the Rama Task Force, yeah. where Rama, I think, of their sectorials is where you get the really deadly link teams. Yeah, if you yeah. want to play link teams, you can you can get some link teams in there. Uh, uh, but I think it's about Carmen and Batard, personally. <laughs> yes. That's the argument for me. Maybe Mook, uh, Mooktar Harris. Right. I mean, you I get so much work done with that stupid Red Fury. Yeah. 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 I don't need a Harris. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of where I, where I think that, like, all three of them really do focus on a different element of what it means to play a sectoral of a faction. So I think that's pretty neat, yeah. right? I think if you really are like, I want to play Hawk Islam, and I really want to leverage links, I would point you to Rama, because like you're, those are the be the the the, the face. Assassins points. can really do it these days too. I mean, they you really can put can. an Asawira. Sure, Ruiz have always been incredible. You now can, they're wild cards. <laughs> you can leverage a lot of armies in a lot of different ways. But if somebody was like, I want the the raw punch face, like you can you can get one in Assassins. Right, or you can get like one of many in um, in Rama. Yeah, Rama still strikes me as a little bit glass cannony. Um, they can really hit you, but they're not very tough. Yeah, well, but yeah. you can also leverage their maneuverability to not have to worry as much about getting hit, like with Courage. Right. I wish, or, I would, yeah. Yeah. I will say that um, from a vanilla perspective, those uh, sectorials I would be less likely to play. I'm super thankful those exist because that's a big part of the argument for playing vanilla is uh, taking that Mukhtar Red Fury, you know, really glad that that is in the faction. Or a Namur. Namur. Namur are great, Eric. You should play them. Cough, cough. Well, You'll be happy to know that it's back in my list. <laughs> yay. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Hawk is in a good spot. I mean, I, I think um, if you, like, I guess, so there's certain certain ways to collect Infinity, right? So there's the way that I do it, which is just don't make any concessions or compromises. You just get everything, which is not the, I don't think that's a good idea and you shouldn't do it. Um, uh, you can do what Adam does, which I think is the correct way to do it. If you really must have all the factions, pick a sectoral for all the fa for each faction. Um, and if you want the most Hawk Islam feel of, of all the sectorials, you can just get into uh, assassins, and you'll be quite happy. I think. Yeah, it, ca I get, it captures the will, essence. That will scratch the itch of like, I want to play hawk, and it's like, well, the, the, you, what you're saying is you want to play assassins. Uh, but vanilla uh, hawk is special. It is. <laughs> so it is. It is special. So, yeah, for sure. So I think I think vanilla hawk in this case 
is actually the the refined palate. Mm, I fully agree with that. Yeah. Fully agree with that. You grow into it. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. Exactly. Because at first you're like, why would I want vanilla? I get two fidets in. in yeah. Exactly. In I, the can, sauce is I can have three fidets, and then you're like, well, you know, there's. What if a fidet was a thing of nuance? Yeah. <laughs> right. But if it wasn't always about fidet, and you're like, yeah. what? That's a thing? Yeah. You know, it was possible. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, should we mention mutts <laughs> now that they're no longer the auto include? They're they're just there. <laughs> mutts are great. Still. They're fine. Yeah, they're, no, they they're, are fine. That's, they're the dirt thing cheap roadblocks. They're they are a they a very good unit to have, but they're no longer they used to be they used to be the thing you said talked about and then fidays were number two. And now, yeah, now it's now they just, we, we just mentioned them at like number twelve on the list. They're they're absolutely fantastic. They can still do a lot of really annoying things. I think people know why they're why they're good and how to use them. It's just now that they've differentiated the profiles and made some things mutually exclusive, or you have to pay double the cost for it effectively than you did before. Um, it's it's definitely uh, they were nerfed appropriately. So the people that wanted the toolkit can still have access to it. They just pay appropriately for it. Um, and if you want a subset of the toolkit, which still makes them effective and you're comfortable using them, they can still give you the performance that you want. It's just not like a, like a, I don't have to make any concessions or any, you know, any compromise. Yeah. I just have everything that I want in a five point unit. Like now it's like, okay, I've compromised. I know what I want. I have it. And I, I leave some stuff, you yeah. know, at home. Or you could take a Coom. <laughs> or you could take a Coom. Coom are fantastic. So I've yeah, got, that's, that's my mindset these days. I still take like a mutt here and there, but Coom have taken that spot in my heart. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really, dog, really good. A, a dogged eight six chain rifle is just yeah, and they uh -huh. can go break uh, an AC two. You know, they have a double action close combat for oh right right for six points. Yeah. <laughs> okay, John. So tell us why vanilla nomads is correct nomads. Okay, so uh, like we talked about having no no compromises, vanilla nomads is about no compromises. You can have everything you want, uh, like. <laughs> Vanilla Nomads is just like you play the random list generator and you have a good list. <laughs> like that's basically it. <laughs> you just like I shake the Vanilla Nomad tree, it stuff came out, and like I'm playing this list, it's gonna be good. Like I don't don't shake it too many times, you'll get attacked by a squavet. <laughs> but Pokemon. Um, oh. I think the thing yeah. is, uh, they've done a really good job of differentiating the the sectorials here. Um, I don't think anything in the sectorials is enough to make me want to leave Vanilla Nomads. I'll do it as a learning exercise or a practice thing. Uh, I love Corregidor. It was the first army that I ever played. Um, it's gotten a lot better than since N2 era. Like just the addition of Jaguars has changed everything. Now with the addition of like evaders, it's just like, what is happening to the sectorial? Um, <laughs> Bakunin is great, right? Especially now with all the mixed links that they have. Tunguska is probably the hardest to play. Um, of all of them, because you you have to make concessions in Tagaska. Uh, you you like there's compromise you have to build into your list. You can't have all the toys um, if things are just too expensive. So you have to leave a weakness somewhere and shore it up with good play. Uh, that is not really true of Vanilla Nomads, and I think part of that is because Nomad unit design is just so well rounded, right? So if you pick anything, like there's just access to all kinds of stuff, like the Hollow Man. Um, specialist operative, right? Like has all the things. It super jumps. It gets wherever it needs to be. It's got a gun. It's got two wounds. Uh, same thing can be said for like the riot girl. It dodges on 16s. It has two wounds, right? Like um, the 
my favorite like uh, unit I think so far is the Zonautica hacker because it goes wherever mm-hmm. you need it to go yeah. really fast. It can it has it, it can trade right like is the if it's a thing you need to get rid of you just throw the bot onto the bus chain rifle the thing go do the stuff it can carry two supply tokens right like it does all the things and it's so fast that it comes with smoke and it like shoots reasonably well uh so it can uh, you know like if you if you look for stuff that can seal you with a win in turn three the zonautica is definitely something you need to consider uh just because transforming motorcycle transforming too, so. motorcycle right just that's, that's all you need to say it does exactly what it says on yeah, the exactly um i mean like hackers are so incredibly versatile nomads have the best um the best hacking game i think because a, they have access to like an excellent repeater net. Uh, every, like, of course, Morans, right? Morans give you a repeater net uh, at deployment, which is a thing that very few factions can do. Uh, Nomads, I think, are the are the kings of that, uh, especially because they just have access to the hackers. Just period. Like, if you make a nomad list and you're like, I need a specialist, or like, I need a gun, like you'll get a hacker, right? <laughs> like you, like mm-hmm. you have to try to put hackers in other lists. Nomads, it just happens by clicking around in the army builder. It just happens. Uh, whether you want it or not, um, so I think I think basically they just they just do all the things. Uh, like you you don't have to compromise on anything. There's uh, like stuff is so multi-purpose in Nomads as well, right? So if you look at uh, say the Quangxi, right? That's amazingly multi-purpose for a five-point unit. It does so many things. Like anybody who plays a lot of ISS is like those pistols do work, right? Morlocks in Nomads are the same kind of idea. They don't have explode, but they have assault pistols, right? Um, and like you can EM, like they just, they just like any answer you might need, the chances are like at least two to three models in your, in your force have the answer to the problem at hand. Uh, and they can, they can do all sorts of things. Like they move laterally really well. Uh, they can play, they, 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 they have an answer for everything. Uh, they can, they can, um, play the, I shoot you in the face real good game. Like they're not apex predators like Pano is right. Like Pano BS mm-hmm. will outshoot nomads any day, but they have stuff that stacks in their favor, whether it be Viz mods, um, like the Kriza, for example, with this additional burst. Um, intruders are a great example of taking away your Viz mods and getting Viz mods of their own and also have great BS. Uh, so they can outshoot things uh, in limited engagements. Uh, and also they have an excellent way of just accomplishing the mission and ignoring everything that you do. That's also fine too, right? So they can they they I think if you want to play an army that can do everything and support pretty much all the playstyles, Nomads is for you. Their weakness though is shitty lieutenants <laughs> and no chain of command. <laughs> so uh, which is fit which isn't fitting with their lore, right? They're all sort of like independent people. They want to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I think most Nomad players will tell you, yeah, it's fine. I'm used to playing in in, uh, in Loss of Lieutenant. I think I think that's really the strength of Vanilla is that Loss of Lieutenant doesn't matter as much to Vanilla Nomads as it does to the other other sectorials. Because if you're in Loss of Lieutenant and you've got a five-man link wandering around, now you're in trouble. Now you're really putting a lot of pressure on those command tokens. In Vanilla Nomads, you're like, okay, well, I have like six things in the midfield anyway. Uh, they're all, like, well, at least one of them is by the objectives within four inches. Okay, cool. I push the button. Uh, I do some other stuff and back to you. I picked a better Lieutenant this time around. Right. So right. I, I feel, I feel like, uh, like I've, you know, I've done ridiculous things like rocket a Morlock and like eat like a half of a deployment zone in loss of Lieutenant before. Uh, and like that felt fine. It did. I didn't feel hampered really. So people who are like nomads are bad because, uh, you, you often are in loss of Lieutenant, um, just need to get comfortable playing in loss of lieutenant, and I think 
vanilla is the way to do that because they have access to um, uh, extremely dense toolkits in the sense that like one unit has so many different tools uh, and you can have multiple of them and most of them have deployment skills. So they're where they need to be with the exact tools that you need within one to two orders of the thing that they need to do. So if you're in loss of lieutenant, you spend one command token and do the thing you were going to do anyway. And then you can like spend some time fixing problems in your deployment, right? You're like, okay, well, I guess I really shouldn't have put that there as, as like, I need to worry about this, this AD trooper that walked on on your last turn and I can like shift the chain rifle over this to this corner now. And, and now I've shored up that defense. And then, so you have a very productive loss of lieutenant turn. Um, and, uh, you know, like I've, I've had opponents say after me, it's like, were you, you didn't really feel like you were in loss of lieutenant because you just had stuff everywhere. And I think that's very characteristic of nomads. They get to do all the things. So yep. why would you play a sectoral? Uh, you play a sectoral because you want the things that are in it, right? So, um, uh, if you want access, like Corregidor is a great example. Um, you get access to McMurrow, um, also to, um, Massacre, right? That's really fun. Uh, you can build some really cool links in there. So if if you wanted a situation where you were like, I want too many tools in a very dense blob, then you play a sectorial. <laughs> that's that's really what it is. Uh, the other thing that you can that sectorials grant you is the ability to um, have a sort of a cheerleader link sort of situation, like we talked about with uh, that game I played against Adam with the uh, the uh, the link that I didn't activate really. And you just like move the other pieces around. Nomads are very good at that. Nomads are also very good at like pushing a link forward. A lot of nomad links have access to like weird tools, uh, so they can defend themselves reasonably mm. well or move laterally in the midfield. They degrade well because if you kill stuff, they generally have stuff in the link that can still accomplish the mission. Um, so I think really, if you want to play a sectoral, you're looking for like I enjoy playing links. I enjoy solving problem solving with links. Um, and I, I want the challenge of playing in like a, a smaller thing, or I want the flavor, right? I think um, the, the, the power level of Corregidor is incredibly high right now. Uh, I, I would say it's pretty much on par with vanilla, which just the ridiculous crap you can do in Corregidor. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to play it other than for flavor right now. That's really why I would play Corregidor, and I think it's the same statement for Bakunin and Tunguska. Like if I'm like I don't really want to play Tunguska unless I really want to enjoy like jumping a Hollow Man link around. Like I like it's it's for flavor really, uh, in my opinion. Like Link's Vostok is really fun. Yep, Yugi, you're absolutely right. Um, solo Vostok also broken, <laughs> right? Like it's real good. Yeah, it, does it doesn't great. need to be in a link. <laughs> so I think I think for uh, if you're a new player coming to nomads yeah and you don't know where to start i don't think you could really go wrong playing a sectoral yeah um and it's you know and you're going to pick the sectoral that actually i think represents the aspect of nomads that you like the most conceptually anyways like if you if you want the you know the the degenerates and outcasts you're going to play bakunin sure. right like if that to you is what nomads is about you'll go there you'll be fine you'll enjoy the game I think all of the nomad armies feel nomad-y mm -hmm. in their own way. Like Tunguska might have less of the infiltration game, but it has more, you know, it's maybe overemphasized on the hacker game, right? Like they, they move it around one way or another. Um, so I don't really think you could go wrong starting off with a sectoral here and then branching out into vanilla. 
I would say you're but safe think... starting with Corregidor and Bakunin. Like if you if you are a brand new Infinity player, maybe mm-hmm. don't start with Tunguska. Mm-hmm. If you have played another faction elsewhere, okay, start with Tunguska, and then you can like move into like let's say you know you play I don't know uh, combined or something. You're like oh, I want to play Nomads or something. Like start with Tunguska. That's totally fine. I would I would caution you maybe starting with Tunguska as a brand new Infinity player. Um, they're the hardest of the four to list build and play. That's that's the only reason. I'm not saying you can't do it. It's certainly not like it's it's a much weaker uh, uh, emphasis on the statement than say like don't start JSA, right? Like <laughs> I I I will like I like don't do it. Yeah, it's one of those things where like if I if I see two people at a game store that I'm not like a regular at, I don't know them, and they're talking about like a Tunguska box and like whether they're gonna buy it, I won't say anything. But if they're like, oh, this JSA box is really cool, I'll open my mouth and like be that guy at the game store. But like I won't do it if you're like looking to start well, a Tunguska. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the that's the bar. Um, and I guess that, you can get long arms sense. and Bakunin. Right. Yeah, Clint, Clint um, brings up that point, which is like, sure. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think there's any wrong answer for where to start if you're playing Nomads. I think the trouble is when you're playing, uh, in this case, if you're playing Vanilla, like what box do you go by first is a total mystery, right? Like I said, if you're new and getting into the game, like, and you're like, I want to play Vanilla Nomads. Like well, I don't know. Just start off by buying all the stuff. Like, yeah, that's the that's the problem. I think if you want, like, if I was even more so, I think than other vanillas. Very true. I think um, given the current focus of CB and what newest models are in existence or coming out soon, I would say start Corregidor um, because I think it's the easiest transition mm-hmm. to vanilla, right? A lot of my vanilla lists are based heavily on Corregidor tools with a bunch of spice from Bakunin and Tunguska. And then you can buy those blisters or those packs as you move into it. Uh, especially because Corregidor is so Yeah, so everything strong. in there is good. So. Yeah, and, and it really captures what nomads do anyway, right? It's just like we're good at all the things. We hit, you know, we're tough as nails and, and, and get the job done, right? So, yeah, that's awesome. nomads. All right, so tell me why I'm wrong about uh, around about uh, you, Jing, when we get to uh, combined. Okay, so combined <laughs> is I feel like you could not get any any different armies than the vanilla and the sectorals here, like a hundred percent. Vanilla combined is a powerhouse army with access to a ridiculous number of tricks. Yep. The Morat army is the polar opposite when it comes to tricks you have available. Like, now they've got the Rascat, and guess what? It's the one trick they have, and everybody knows they have it. Like, <laughs> I mean, gonna, the same can be said re- for, for, for U.S. Ariadna, right? Yeah, U.S. Ariadna is not a tricky army. Um, <laughs> but but Morats, Morats is the army where you need to, you, you need to play Yeah, play the perfect game. As, yeah, like we're talking about like all these other armies, like oh, you can play Rama and play an honest army. Like no, the the <laughs> Morats are the army you have to play an honest game of Infinity. This is it. That's yep. all you can do. You got to play it. This is how the the rules work of the game. You're only going to play the core. That's Morats. Shazvasti are are the opposite side. They're all tricks, right? They do have a couple of powerhouse units like Sheeskin's a monster, but. Um, they're they're really, in my experience at least, playing them. Uh, you're banking entirely on these tricks to win you the game. 
So you have two total opposite ends of the spectrum between Moritz and Shostakovsky, and then you have combined, which is you get all of it at once, right? The uh, the vanilla army, and then I think Onyx Onyx is like vanilla light. Yeah. Um, to me, it kind of reminds me of of Rama, where you're you're giving up a lot mm. of the strengths of the sectoral or the strengths of the vanilla faction to get some value out of link teams. Mm. And I think if you're not uh, particularly good at, at really leveraging the strength of a link team, then if you're playing Onyx, you should be playing vanilla. I think if you're not very good at leveraging the strength of uh, a link team in Rama, you should be playing vanilla. Um, that to me, yeah. So Onyx is the army where, I, like I said, you have to you have to leverage the strength of those links. Otherwise, you go to go play vanilla. Get the other tools. You'll be happier. <laughs> yep. Especially in Onyx, they have no smell. Yeah. Right. That's like, no, right. Yeah. Go yeah. get some smoke. You'll yeah. Go be play Pandoshiania. <laughs> yeah, you'll be happier over there. Now, when when I got started, I started with US Ariana and then I went to Combined. And the reason why I went with Combined was because it is every type of army you want it to be. You can play a spam list, right? They get a lot of dirt cheap orders between Icadrons, R drones, net rods, and then you can have those power, you know, power some some big nasty Carentids. You can play an elite list. You can play a camo list with the uh, Shazvasti. Um, it's really all over the place. As a new player coming in, being like, should I start with vanilla or should I start with a sectoral? Um, much like you and I probably would both stop somebody from starting the JSA, I might suggest somebody not start with Morats. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. and it's not because Morats are bad. I think Morats are great. I enjoy them. I think they do fine. But it is because the they are very unforgiving for new players. I mean, less less so uh -huh. than JSA. But I think I think if you if you start with Morats and get good with them, you'll be terrifying when you start moving to something else. That's also true, yeah. right? Like if you if you are willing to invest in yourself in this you know in this game and invest in your own education, then yeah, starting with Morats and then moving to anything else, you're like. Great. So I can beat you with with both hands tied behind my back, just using my funny monkey hand feet, right? Like, yeah. and that, like here yep. we go, completely un unleashed. Yeah. And I I get yeah. stuff like camo now. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be my argument against a new player starting them is just yeah. um, you might find out that you don't like that specific thing that they do, and you're you know you don't have any options. I mean, more yeah. Morats feels like the like the training mission of a video game, right? Like you don't get any of the cool toys. It's just like, this is like, like work, work on your circle strafing, right? Just like, yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it, but they're not bad, but yeah, no, it is one of those things like if you're, if you're starting off, I would nudge people actually in this case towards vanilla. Um, That's so hard. If play, if you, it's so hard, but, but like, what's the alternative, right? So I nudge you towards Shazvasi. Yeah, Shaz, and Shaz have, the vanilla is very reasonable, basically, because because it's but yeah. You're buying a ton of stuff that becomes AVA one in vanilla. Sure. So like you you end up actually having to buy a bunch of new stuff in um once you go into vanilla. So you end I mean, up with just a huge shopping list either way. It seems like Onyx um, would be a like a okay starting point just because you'd have a handful of the. I mean, if you know, the, from across the. If the bots, it's... if the box still existed, I would say yeah, right. Mm. No, you can still get the starter. 
with the uh, with the legit and the you can the you can assemble it. Off. It's just it's just easier to yeah. But there's a 300 point box for them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Shazvasti. I mean that's a good argument to do Shazvasti because you can buy that box and be done for a minute. Yeah. But um, I think the trouble with Onyx is, is that there's going to be a lot of frustration and the lack of tools that you have available. Um, Fair. They have really good things, kind of like TAC. They have access to a lot of really good, powerful options available to Vanilla, but those powerful options like Malignos come at a cost. If you want your camo infiltrating specialist, you're paying, I think it's like 35 points, 32 points for a Malignos. You don't get to get by with a cheaper um, regular camouflage instead. So that's that's my only issue with them is I feel like they are a bit unforgiving for a new player. So yeah, the cheapest one is going to be 31 points for the killer hacker. Or 39 for the for the regular hacker. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my only argument against Onyx. You know, it, I it is an army where I'd say start vanilla. Also, when you start with vanilla, you actually get to buy some of the coolest toys. If you start off with with Onyx, and somebody's like, look at the avatar, look at the Carrington, yeah, you know, look at the models that that are almost like the, the models that convert people to wanting to play yep. combined. Yep. Like. And you're like, so which sectoral do I get these in? They're like none of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think um, van, uh, vanilla is is uh, vanilla combined is unique in that respect, right? Yeah. You don't get like access the, to the aspects like, anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, you know, like the, the six man starter pack for them should be like two Icadrons, two Amatrons, two remotes, a Carrington, and like a shrouded. <laughs> like there's your there's your six model yeah. little starter pack. Welcome welcome to combined <laughs> code one, right? There you go. Yeah, and you know, like all of the vanilla armies, you're going to glaze over once you see this massive list of models. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think combined is one of the armies that also does well with the buy what looks cool method of army building. Yeah, I'd say the same is true for Nomads, probably Ariadna as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm really any of the vanillas. Uh, I, I, but I, I guess to you know Yugi's point, which I think you were just referencing, right? So vanilla is really hard to get into because it, it leads to immediate analysis paralysis. It's like, what mm. do I buy? Yes. Right? Like I, I don't know what to get. Do I, I definitely don't want to get a swake box, right? Because now I just have yeah. stuff I won't use, mm. and like you know, like the starter pack has all the stuff in it, and like I, do I buy which blister do I get? I have a budget, um, and I think the infinity is uh, pretty unique amongst. War games where it like doesn't really matter what you get as long as you think it's cool and you can make a legal list with it. Um, so mm-hmm. I think part of getting into a vanilla army, like, so this, you know, taking this as an example, is just buy what you think is cool, um, and then just play those models and proxy any profile swaps or like weapon swaps you need to proxy with what you have, and that's totally fine. And that's a reasonable way to get started in vanilla. It will teach you to start because really that's what a sectorial is doing. Sectorial is like, this is a limited set of models you need to purchase and assemble and put on the table, right? And you can only build with this list and that's it, right? And CB has done the pre-work for you of like just assembling a menu that you can't see any of the other options, right? But you can also assemble, you have to do, if you're willing to do a little homework up front, you can make that list for yourself just by being like, these are the things I look cool and that's the only things I'm allowed to build from. Right, and some people mm-hmm. aren't aren't really willing to do that because they're like maybe they come from a different game where it's like oh I need to know what's best and I will buy what's best and play what's best. Right, there's definitely a lot of games out there that that behave that way. Uh, Infinity really isn't one of those. Um, so 
you know, it, it can be a little overwhelming. It's like, well, I have to buy like, you know, a thousand dollars worth of crap now. Great. Uh, I, I don't have right. the budget to do that. Uh, but you can certainly just buy what you think looks cool and start from there. It's a very reasonable way to start a vanilla army. And, and, and that helps with the, you know, what do I do? Eyes glazing over problem. Cause like, this is what I have. I have the thing in front of me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the counter we have to combined is Aleph, yep. which it's so Aleph interesting, uh, kind of like military orders are very polarizing for Pano. I think still phalanx can be very polarizing. Sure. Um, some people don't want the Odyssey inside of their like Ghost in the Shell robot death army. That was me. I didn't yeah. want it. <laughs> um, and I think that so to me, vanilla, uh, vanilla Aleph is basically OSS plus a couple toys from Steel. Yep. Is is kind of it. There's not. There's. It's probably because mm. it's such a small army that the you know the two are totally different and they play totally differently. Um, but I think if you wanted to play vanilla Aleph, I mean, first of all, good luck, uh, because a lot of the models are discontinued. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But even if you could get the models, um, it, you need to have a really, uh, a real solid reason to do it. I don't even think Achilles is a strong enough reason to do it because you could just run Ajax like, or not Ajax, um, uh, Hector. Sure. Is, you know, does damn near the same thing that uh, Achilles does. And he's available, I think, right? In um, Yeah, he's available in OSS as well. So it's a, I don't know, it's a little tricky for me. I mean, well, so yeah. first of all, we should, we should mention that uh, as, as we're going through this list for any, anybody new out there, right? So there's a few, there's a few armies which are discontinued. They're still legal, obviously, because they're in the army builder, but you can't buy them, some of the models for them, right? So that includes what? Uh, Stark Army uh, of Contestamento, uh, NCA, New Terran, Capitoline Army, uh, Merovingia is unavailable, QK is unavailable, and then, of course, Steel, right? So Steel basically uh, isn't around. You can't buy any of the models anymore. Well, some some of them are probably still around, but you can't get a bunch of them. So if you want to get into steel, sorry, <laughs> it's going to be hard. Uh, there's stuff available, secondhand sites and all that kind of thing. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah, Hector is an OSS. I clicked the wrong button. Yeah. Um, I don't play a ton of Aleph, but Vanilla Aleph is my preferred mode for doing it. Mostly, I think, just because I like Vanilla more. Um, so but... what do you what do you take out of steel, though? It's, it's really just your, you know, it's your sneaky OSS stuff plus your hero of choice, and um, yeah, but that's kind of enough, I think. You know, a Ajax plus, um, you know, some Naga. Right. <laughs> so, <to> you. <laughs> uh, you know, Clint says the. I think to me, the really the big thing you're getting out of playing vanilla is access to smoke. Yeah. Um, yeah. And agreed. Hector's agreed. And that is big. Yeah. So yeah, so sorry, Hector isn't an OSS, he isn't vanilla, and the model for him is still available. And then you know, you're gonna want like a Mervidon officer or something in there to give you some smoke, and you just go pick up Perseus and be done. Boom. Yeah. Um Perseus is I in think there. that's oh, it's not in there, but you'd use the model as a Mervidon officer. Oh, sure, 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 sure. sure. Okay. I was like, wait a second, you. hold on, that's a nomad Ooh. thing. Stop stealing Perseus. Nope. Your your smoke sources are discontinued miniatures, so you got to pick up Perseus to proxy. There you go. But yeah, Sura and a Myrmidon is fun, though. That's a you know that's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that gets your MSV and your smoke. Yeah. Good to go. Um, and but yeah, anything. I think that you're only 
you're really only like sprinkling in two, three. Well, I mean, so it, it really depends on what you started with, right? So, um, but it's it's, it's mm. kind of a weird situation because OSS is relatively mm. new in comparison to the to vanilla ALF and Steel. So, mm-hmm. uh, Clint is absolutely right in his statement that uh, ALF used to be Steel plus proxies. Right, that used to be, mm. and yeah. then of course, like all the camo infiltrators and stuff, which Steel doesn't really have. Um, mm-hmm. But now that OSS is a fully fleshed sectorial, there's nuance here, and you can play the other way. You can play OSS heavy yeah. plus Steel as a vanilla faction. Yeah. And Terakuti yeah, SO actually... is still good in vanilla, so you know there's an argument for. Yep. Um, I yeah, think if anything, it's a, it, it's a, it's just. A, I think the way to articulate it is just a very small vanilla faction, but it's still there's still a strong a strong argument for it. It's it's only small if you don't like if if you start lumping the characters because there's like so many characters in steel. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to to put it too. It's you know, Aleph as a whole is the character faction. If you like characters, yeah, there's plenty of characters. <laughs> they've got they've got character um yeah so i i think so if you're if you're new coming in so i've got thank you uh i've got steel phalanx and to me when i look at oss it's like cool so i uh, like when i look at vanilla even uh it's like i need a whole new army got it yeah mm-hmm. you know like there's very little kind of like going from us ariadna to vanilla ariadna there's very little out of um, out of that sectoral, out of the skill failing mm-hmm. sectoral, that I think I'm going to use with great frequency when I go over to vanilla. Yeah, so that's true. I mean, I could, I could play vanilla Ariadna where I throw in some Mavericks. I take my two grunt infiltrators every game. And your um, fox shots. And that's take, it. Yeah, fox shots, but probably not all the time. So similar, I've got my steel phalanx army. Looking at vanilla, it's like, well, I want a whole bunch of a ton of stuff I don't have. Where I think if you come up from the other perspective, pick up OSS, and if you have access to and you want a couple of Steel Phalanx heroes, sprinkle those in. Yeah, you could get the um, oh, what's the the starter pack though? Um, Wildfire was that Wildfire? Yeah, but now they've just sold. They now it's all bundled in the one. Yeah. but that pack of miniatures, I think you could cold, add cold that front, to you Steel mean? and have a. Cold front? I think it was Wildfire. Yeah, I think Wildfire against Shazvasti. Oh. Because Cold Front is um, a Pano versus Eugene. No, Wild, or, no, sorry, no, Wildfire. No. Cold, Cold is, Front uh... was. Uh, yeah, oh, Wildfire no, is right. Shaz and O12. Cold Front is TAC versus OSS. Right. My goodness. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying though is, I think that if you have Steel Phalanx and you buy that, you're in an okay place. Yeah, absolutely. one or two extra blisters, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, stuff is really hard to find. Like the old Naga sculpts are like impossible to find now. That took some doing when I went searching. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think if you're if you're going to start Aleph, you're going to start with with OSS. Yes, anymore. right now. I mean, you have to. You can't buy the models at the yeah. store yeah. anymore. Yeah. 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 It's a. It would be a hard one to invest in right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Then we've got a Toha Spiral. All of the NA twos. Sorry, yeah. they're all sectorals. <laughs> well, so so Toha is unique that it's a vanilla with links, right? Uh, we could do a whole episode on Toha. Maybe we will. Uh, but um, sort of, it, this you know, 
it is there's no other option here so there's not really much to discuss other than that if you're into this stuff you should play them um but yeah, it, yeah, yeah like yeah, exactly. we moved under NA2. If you like a smelly yeah. fart, that's yeah. the faction. There you yeah. go. And then of course NA2 um, has a million things. Uh, Starco is basically a nomad sectorial. But you yeah, know. they're all they're all sectorials. Akari is basically a JSA sectorial, and JSA is basically is yeah, yeah. is a sectorial. Right. Um, exactly. So we should move on to O12. <laughs> yep, O12. All right. So <laughs> what's actually funny is the O12. There's only one sectorial. Yeah. You've got vanilla and you've got Starmada. And they ha both have the $100, 300-point army in a box. Yeah. So if you if you play Starmada, all you have to do to play vanilla is just go buy that other box, throw it in, boom, you're you've got vanilla. Yeah. Um, this is army that I would actually also, again, push people towards vanilla. But if I feel like that there's so few units available to either one of them, you're going to play both at yeah. the end. Yeah. Um, Unless you're making a conscious effort to only play uh, the Starmada sectoral, um, but you, yeah, Starmada is you're really going for the link. You're going for that bronze link, the big face puncher dude. Um, mm -hmm. They have a little bit of extra availability on interesting things. Yeah, but going for the link or the Chaksa long arms, <laughs> like, right? But it is there's, it there's is a hot in take. the those armies. Um, <laughs> That's, really a, that's fully Clint's joke. <laughs> uh, but I think as a beginner, this is actually a really good vanilla to start with. Because mm -hmm. it has access to to at least a representation of all of the tools yeah. um, without giving you such an overwhelming list of things to pick from. Yeah, and it, and it, it supports feels... a lot of different play styles too. Like, yeah. I, I think of O12, like Pando and Nomads had a baby. Because they have a lot of toolkit stuff, they have access to tricks that aren't available in in uh, in Pano. Yeah, Pano Mans, exactly right. So um, <laughs> they and they have excellent guns too. They have excellent gun platforms. So you you get all the you get the same kind of like tricksy and lateral movement feel of Nomads, and they can also back it up with uh, with big guns and face punching like Pano does. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, like I said, I think vanilla. If you're a new mm -hmm. player, come into mm -hmm. vanilla. Yeah. And when it comes to competitive play, I still think yeah. vanilla. Yeah. Strongly in this case, I and think if you, can, you you can do well with you you can do well with Starmada. Like Tim did well with his Starmada list, right? With his like triple Nyoka HRL. I like, think that's. <laughs> I mean, that's totally reasonable. I think Starmada has like we we can get into Starmada like a little bit more in some other other. Um, episode I think, I think i think we did right when we talked about o12 um yeah but uh yeah i mean you really just have to like the links to do it um they yeah. do an excellent job of staying alive in the midfield because they just have either lots of wounds or or all kinds of other nonsense that keeps them um ticking like parvati for example mm -hmm. um yeah i think that if you wanted to start the game as a vanilla faction O12 would be a great spot to do it because they only have the one sectorial. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like you could easily just pick up that that box and you know transfer transform your vanilla army into a sectoral army or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um and there's even I think a fair number of tools the in the Stormada action pack that you'd want to use in vanilla anyhow. 
right? So it's got the extra, it's got some extra Kappa Troopers. A solo bronze is totally fine. Um, the 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 biker, uh, the law master, law keeper. There we yeah, go. Law Not keepers. law master. That's that's bike. Right, the blue coats. <laughs> yeah. Um, like those things are all things you want in vanilla anyhow. So you may as well. I mean, so I think. Would you recommend O12 if somebody showed up to the game store and was like, "This game looks cool. I don't really have strong opinions about. I want to play. I just want like a a thing that." Like like what, I want I want to buy one thing today and like be fine. Would you recommend O twelve, as like the yeah, starting? Yeah, I think O twelve action pack. There you go. Like I don't think you can go wrong with O twelve. It's yeah. a nice middle road, you know. Like you were saying, Panomads. That's you know. Yeah, it I, does I, I think it was designed. I think it was designed for this task. Yeah. Just to, like, I think that the. I suspect that we'll see them replace Pano as the. The poster child of Infinity. Um, I don't know. It's too weird, <laughs> right? And, and I think that it—they've really designed it as a faction to where the units, yeah, every unit's a paragon, right? Like every unit does what it does well. And that's what it's for. Like I need the I need the heavy chunky guy with the fear box, like because I need to go blow stuff up. And like, well, he's really good at that job. And yeah. as a new player, only having to learn. One job at a time for all of your units is really nice. So, yeah, I think that they're all that that it is a fantastic army, especially as a vanilla for a new player to get into. Yep. Well, who? That was a lot. Was a little bit about factions. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think <laughs> you know. So you know, obviously, the real answer is it's up to you, person, right? But um, I don't think it is as cut and dry as maybe the forums might make it out to be. Um, Other than don't read the forums as the general word of advice anyways. Um, I I think that a lot of people look on paper and they see the the powerful thing. They're like, I can get my BS-17 Burst 5 Spitfire. Like, give me all the link bonuses because that makes the numbers bigger. but there's so much nuance to this game when it comes, uh, like we talked about earlier with the cognitive load, positioning, moving on across the table, how you actually manage the resources you have available, what resources you are then restricting yourself by getting that buff. Mm-hmm. That I don't think it's this whole like, you know, five man list, you know, five man link, 15 orders is the correct way to play. Um, I think that's a very narrow, uh, a very narrow perspective that might look really good on, you know, when you're, when you're on the toilet hammering out a list, but I don't think it stands up necessarily to the scrutiny of, of competitive gameplay. Yeah. I, I think, I think you can, and really it's about like what appeals to you. Uh, obviously link teams succeed well in tournaments as do vanilla, right? So it really depends on how you like to play. If you want to focus your attention on one collection of units that's doing most of the work on the table, then yeah, maybe, Maybe uh, uh, link team play in uh, a is for you if you want to have a more distributed approach and sort of like attack as like a, a sing, like a unified front and present pressure across the table. Then vanilla is for you, right? It's really like yeah, what, where, yeah. Where do you want your load to be carried? Right. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to spend less time worrying about what's you know less time building your list maybe? And less time having to remember all the different profiles. 
there's a, a probably a perhaps a shallower learning curve as, of a sectoral to the first step to the first plateau mm -hmm. than there is for vanilla um, when it comes to making your list. But then when it comes to actual gameplay, it might be a little bit steeper. So it is really just where do you want to feel the stress? Um, and I prefer to feel it on the toilet when I'm making my list. <laughs> <laughs> you get, you've, got, you've got a place for that stress to go. Um, yeah, exactly. The, 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 the other thing go. I would say is that um, I'm of the opinion that vanilla degrades more gracefully than than mm. uh, a sectorial. So like if you invest very sure. heavily in like a Death Star link and then somebody takes it apart, uh, you might be dead in the water, right? Um, or so many people take like, you know, I can only activate one thing at a time in a link, therefore I will have one good gun in the link. Right. <laughs> and then they eat a crit and you're yeah. like crits are stupid i hate this game and you're like my my like, you know it's like one like you, you take a bunch of uh of like boarding shotgun wielding guys because they're the cheapest profile and then like one hmg you're like all right let's do it and then you're engaging 732 and the hmg dies and you're like well poo that that has happened to me in living memory yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> and i was like right this is why i don't do that thing yeah <laughs> So, Wuming are notorious for that, man. <laughs> yeah, they really are. I mean, so you, yeah, it's just like, oh crap, now I'm down to a uh, chain rifle and SMG. Oh, <laughs> let's do it. Come here so I can Bring chain rifle you. Get closer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I think, you know, you can build sectorials to have, um, to have redundancy and have, uh, you know, low variance play and, and good board presence. Um, and you can build the other way, right? It's really about what what you what you prefer. Uh, the, I don't think there's one right answer. Um, I will say that uh, links can have a lot of influence on a new player's perception of the game, right? Be like, I cannot conquer the Tower of Power. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. in some cases, that may be a factor of the faction you play. Like if you're playing Svalorheima and you're like, I cannot conquer the Tower of Power, well, you have no tricks. So you have no mm -hmm. way to get up there and start dismantling it carefully, mm -hmm. right? And so maybe at that point you like you may stagnate. Like this, this happened to me, right? I think, um, I mean, my story of getting into Infinity, I've told it in other contexts. I'll, I'll give you a brief overview now. I started with Gregador uh, before Jaguars were a thing, right? So it was the only two smoke sources were uh, Massacre and McMurrow and Lupe, I guess. Well, that's, that's three. But anyway, Massacre is Eclipse, so it doesn't really count. Um, uh, and I refused to use Morans. I love Morans now, but at the time I hated the sculpts. And my my local warcar was like, "Don't worry, they'll resculpt them soon." And that was <laughs> that was an end to like ten years ago. And we're still stuck with the same two damn sculpts. Um, so you know, I basically had no midfield presence, and uh, I was my primary opponent was Caledonian. I was just getting like beat up by uh, triple volunteer HMG list, right? Like I couldn't do anything about that because I just didn't have any answer for that. Um, that would consistently work. And I just felt like I was stuck in my deployment zone all the time. And it was only if I got lucky and shot my way out of it that I was able to do anything. Um, and so I was, I was ready to quit the game. I was like, this game is stupid, right? Like I can't beat this. I can't beat this one, uh, one list because all of my, all of my forces are concentrated in one side of the table. And if my link dies, then I'm done. Right. I have like a couple of random stuff on the other side of the table, but like, that's it. That's all I got. Um, so, my my way around it was just to like play 
uh, play with Tomcats and stuff. And I, I, so that's why I got really familiar and comfortable with Tomcats. But then my opponent got wise to that. And then I got stuck right again. Cause if you know where the Tomcat's coming on, I can't do anything anymore because there's like a flashball spot watching it or something and I'm stuck. So my, my, my worker was like, okay, before you quit this game, go buy the, uh, the, the Bakunin starter and get some zeros. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll mm -hmm. make one more purchase to win me over. Right. And so I did. And I was like, oh my God, zeros. Zeros have completely changed the game for me because they, they open up a completely different avenue that wasn't available really in my faction. There were no camo and bandits didn't exist. They weren't a part of Corregidor. Mm -hmm. Like the model hadn't been designed yet. Um, so having access to a camel infiltrator when you've never had one, uh, and the only way to get that was moving <laughs> to vanilla, which is like literally game changing. Um, and I think in some cases you may you may feel that if you go from a from a particularly focused sectorial like Svalheima, which is just about shooting your way out of the deployment zone, um, and then and then moving into vanilla pano where you're like, whoa, I get Crocman, holy crap! All right, let's do this. So yeah, it's. That. <laughs> choo choo that's it we're all getting oh, the yeah. here we go <laughs> we're all in the panel there's a train close to me yeah. <laughs> goodness well you've wasted another perfectly good evening listening to late night war games take it away John alright remember if you want to get into contact, contact with us you can do so at mailbag at late night war games dot com uh, anything to massage Adam ego, Adam's ego should go there right so um, I read it too. So if you have something serious to say, you can always send it there. Um, if it's you so want, received basically nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we've got a bunch of competitions and uh, contests and uh, missions running and all that stuff. You can go to Bremen Academy if you want to try some um, missions to get you out of the groupthink and like try to try new things and explore uh, new ways to play Infinity, right? You can go to Brian Academy and check that out. Same for Heavy Gear. We do that at LumberingSprocket.com. Um, we got painting contest uh, at Brian Academy for Infinity. Uh, right now it's conversions. Um, We're here live every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific on Twitch. Uh, we upload all of our content to YouTube and to audio podcast form, so you can find it on your podcast apps for your car ride. Um, if you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon, become a late night wargamer. Um, yeah, thank you to all of our uh, our patrons, our late night wargamers uh, who support us and you know buy the equipment and help pay for the hosting fees and all that stuff. Um, and of course, for our sponsors, DreamPod Nine, Mythic Games, Corvus Belly, Board and Brew, War Cradle Studios, and Brutal Cities. Yeah, Eric, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, no. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Fair enough. Don't have anything going on right now. <laughs> well, so next week it sounds like we're hopefully going to have uh, the creator of Giga Robo on, so that'll be fun to talk about that sweet anime punching robots through buildings with rocket fists and lasers. Uh, yeah, it'll be enjoyable. So be sure to catch us next week, and also be sure to find us on Facebook, YouTube, anywhere they get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and follow us on Twitch and YouTube. And all of that will help us bring you the best content that we possibly can. Yay. All right. Well, Yay. see you guys next week. Stay safe out there and uh, take care. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 Won't you play games with me? And I like to do everyone. That's what I like to do.
That's what I like to do. That's what I really like to do. That's what I really like to do.